Hello and welcome to the Shay Hates Everything podcast, where we talk about video games, movies, comics, and other shit that matters. My name is Shay, and today I hate feeling obligated to spend Christmas money on bills. And my name is Kyle, and today I hate how my procrastination stops me from being creative. So, before we jump into stuff, I almost made my hate of today something about just the weather and winter in general. Yeah. So, apologies in advance. I know my voice, and part of it's because we're recording in the morning, but my voice is lower than normal and raspier than normal. And maybe it's a little sexier than normal, (laughs) but it also sucks more than normal. Because, like, I have a constant need to cough, and, like, I've got some congestion, and I'm not sick. It's just that it's winter, and it's freezing cold. Has it been affecting you? Um, Not, like, voice and health-wise, but it's... Has it has been below zero the past basically the past week? So we're yeah, supposed to come brutal. back from break this week, and um, we're supposed to work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Tuesday was canceled because the uh, it was too cold. Mm. Wednesday and Thursday were two hour delays, and then Friday was also canceled because it was too cold. Wow! Um, and every time I've started my car, with the exception of once this week, I've had to jump it with my jump pack. Because it's terrible. Yeah, I mean, I have an old battery. That's it's a problem for me every winter. Um, so I like I know that going in. But I'm gonna say the air compressor slash jump pack slash flashlight slash charger thing that I bought was like the best <laughs> eighty bucks I've ever spent. Yeah, I was gonna say like when you first bought it, I was like, for real, Kyle, you're spending money on this. But it sounds like you're getting use out of it. <laughs> oh yeah, and I knew I would. I knew I yeah. would. So, yeah. Because like I, my back left tire was flat for the longest time. Like it had a hole in it. And so I was, like, pumping air into it every day to, like, like before I would drive every time, I'd pump air into it for, like, five minutes. Yeah. Um, and now, every time I want to drive, I have to jump start the car. Jeez. It makes me feel like a wuss. It's been, like, in the teens most mornings here, and I'm like, that is way too cold. But I know Dad sends us texts, like, daily of yeah. the weather in Indianapolis, and it's... <laughs> A lot of times in the negatives, and that sounds awful. Yeah, there were a couple days this week where it uh, it was like one or two degrees, but with wind chill, right. it felt like negative eleven or negative yeah. fourteen, which is pretty crazy. Um, it's like I appreciate my commute most times, and I still do. But when I drive to work, my commute is short enough, like ten. 15 minutes max that my car usually still isn't warm by the time I get to work. You gotta heat so the like, car up. You go out there 10 minutes before you leave. You start the car. So here's the thing. So I live in an apartment complex. I don't live in a small suburban neighborhood with old people living (laughs) in the houses next to me. I live in an apartment complex where there are some nefarious characters. Mm. Maybe not. Maybe nefarious is an exaggeration. We have some families and stuff. But there are lots of folks here that I wouldn't feel very comfortable leaving my unlocked running car in front of my apartment. That's fair. That's true. I did do it. I did do it one morning, and I was panicking for like the five minutes that I was waiting, and so I was like, "I can't do that again." Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, it's all them kids in that weed. We have neighbors that smoke all like in our apartment will reek of weed. It's terrible. is it legal in Georgia? No. Ugh. Not kids yet. Going least. down on the dunk. I know, Deeper right? Than the Titanic it's... sunk. I mean, I I have no problems with that at all. I. I look forward to marijuana becoming legal so that the government can tax the shit out of it. 
Yeah. Uh, and hopefully it will cut down on crime and jail sentences and all that kind of stuff, which right. I guess is a more of a positive. But Less tax money going to the to jails to support yes. the weed felons. Yes, and then exactly. More tax money coming in, which will be squandered somewhere, and we won't ever see it. <laughs> they'll find another way to waste it and find another way to put people in jail. I'm sure. Right? Yeah. They'll uh, give, <laughs> they'll give Big Oil another uh, another bonus. Um, so, but yeah, yeah, so I wanted to to obviously clarify all that, but um, also wanted to dive in. So you say like creativity is a problem with your procrastination. Why? How is that a problem? So in the in our little show note document, I posted the picture of the world map I created for my D and D campaign, mm-hmm. um, and like I I want to work on my D and D campaign so badly, but I just don't. Right. Um, I'm not sure why. Like if if I were to sit down and actually work on it, it I would have a lot of fun with it, and it would be really. Um, I think rewarding, but it's kind of like a, it's a daunting task. And so I'm kind of letting that push me away from it. Like my buddy Cody, he decided to, um, he had some friends that were pushing him to DM a fifth edition campaign. And so like, he's been trying to learn the rules and stuff recently. Um, and that's part of the whole formula that I wasn't really up on, Mm -hmm. um, because I've primarily just played fourth edition and the, Everything is very different for between fourth and fifth edition, um, and so like I've through helping him figure out how everything works, I've been figuring out how everything works, which I think was right. my biggest hurdle in in terms of uh, like setting up encounters and knowing how to balance things for players. Um, and I know there are guides and videos and stuff online of how to do that. But I just was never taking it upon myself to engage in any of that content because mm-hmm. I was procrastinating. Um, but like I have this really nice world map I've drawn up with all these locations and I'm still not done adding locations and I have text document after text document of stuff. Um, (laughs) but like none of the practicals of like how they would navigate the world and like what happens to them on a day to day basis. I have like the threads of the overarching story. And now like that I've had some time to step away from it. It's like, okay, maybe I don't want to tell that big story. Maybe I start with a smaller story that, leads into something with more magnitude um so yeah i'm just not entirely sure what i want to do with it um but i was um i i I was productive because uh, my fiance kara has been um frustrated with my procrastination in terms of wedding planning. Um, cause <laughs> okay. I, I kept telling her like, I'm going to find the family crest and we're going to do all this stuff with the, cause it's going to be a medieval Renaissance wedding. Um, sure. And I was like, I'll find the family crest and we'll do all the stuff with it. Well, there's no possible way for me to find our actual family crest because nobody in our family cares about that or has any, has the wherewithal to figure out how any of that stuff works. So I found the hack. I found what I believe to be the Haggerty one, which was, Right. Uh, your and my, our father's mother's, our grandmother, um, family crest, which because they were, they were Haggerty. And when they, uh, and when they came over to the United States, they became Haverty, I believe. I believe that's correct. It might be the reverse yeah, order. That but might be the yes. reverse of that. Um, but I, I think I found their family crest and okay. it was like a, uh, it was an oak tree with, uh, um, 
with uh, nuts in it with like three doves and the doves are like a religious symbol hmm. and the oak tree um, I can't remember what the oak tree means but it, it was nice it just wasn't like what I wanted <laughs> um, okay and so I was like I'll just I'll look up what the castle family crest is and kind of take that and then make my own thing so I hmm. did that um, and I put that picture in the document as well so it's like it's like a red burgundy color, which is like symbol for war or readiness for battle. Um, and then it has uh, the stripe going from the top left corner to the bottom right corner and three castle towers, which just means like uh, they, the castle family owned some form of fort or fortifications or like, you know, again, readiness for battle. And, then, and this is on this is on the shield. Yes, on the shield itself. And then there's like the traditional, you know, um, uh, helmet up above, and then right. flanking the helmet, uh, crossing behind the shield. I have big battle axes again mm-hmm. for war. Also looks cool. <laughs> um, and then we have like kind of like a garland, leafy, kind of almost like an Olympic, you know, the Olympic wreath. Sure, um, it's kind yeah. of almost like that behind it. Don't know what it symbolizes, but it looks cool. So I put it behind there. <laughs> so I so basically, you just created our family crest, yeah, because it looks cool, right? Which is, I mean, <laughs> be, so it has like it has the red nothing about our heritage or right, and like it's extremely difficult to know about our heritage because several yeah. people in our family were adopted. Like, I'm just making my own, and it's going to be cool. No, that's fair. It's just I want you to describe it the way it truly is, where it's like, yeah, it has it's the maroon color with the white stripe diagonally because that looks cool, mm-hmm. and then it has like the three towers symbolizing looking cool, with also like castle. these crossed battle axes because you know those look, look cool. really cool. <laughs> yeah. Like that needs to be the real description. You just did it because it looks cool. Don't yeah. pretend like oh this is because they owned land in the past. But like, but also that. Sure. Okay. Fine. Because like whatever they, we have a fort like a castle, so uh-huh. the towers, and then like a readiness for battle, like a preparedness. You mm-hmm. know, don't mess with me. Yes, all of those are analogs to our current castle family. Yeah, we own land and we're ready for war. Those would be the two <laughs> things I would use to describe our family. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much dead on. So I <laughs> I made the stinking crest so Kara can stop complaining about it. Um, I like it. And yeah, I think it looks pretty cool. Um, and her mom went and bought a bunch of bolts of fabric. Cause, so where we're having the wedding is this farm ranch, and there are trees that go down the driveway that like flank the mm-hmm. driveway. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're going to have the banners with our crest on them, like different okay. color flags with the crest on them on all of the trees kind of flanking the way down as you drive, which will be mm-hmm. really cool. Um, we'll find some other places to put them, too. Um, but, yeah. And then, uh, you know, you and Dad, I want to try and get you guys tabards with the crest on them. Since, yeah. um, and then I, I would like to have my, um, oh, crap, what is it called? My tassel, tacit, tacit, um, on my armor painted because it's a shield tacit. So I'd like to get it painted with the burgundy or the burgundy stripes, and then the castle Got it. things, the three castles. Yeah. What about for Karis? Like, I feel like she said if she it's doesn't a, if worry. It's the... She doesn't want to worry about it. Okay. 
Because I was gonna say, like for a medieval style wedding, I would imagine that both families would be represented. Well, and she and her her family's going like more elven style. Okay. Um. So this is like a fantasy wedding. It's not like a medieval Renaissance wedding. We're playing. This is we're playing like, fast and loose with what. Yeah. This we is the, well, do. no, but this is a different sort of concept. They're gonna be have different sort of influences on like the style and the decor. Yeah. I mean, if this is a knight marrying an elven woman, is very different. Yeah. So like, there's gonna be like a lot of steel and metal stuff, but also like right. a lot of moss wood and, and yeah. wood and stuff too. I like it. So um, that seems to be. Because, like, that's what her mom's style really is, is that kind mm. of fairy woodland stuff. So that's a lot mm-hmm. of the things that she's been finding and picking out. Um, and I don't mind it that much. I just I want to make sure that it doesn't stray too far in that direction. It doesn't become too Lord of the Rings. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And Kara booked... Uh, oh, God. It, um, she just told me last night. It was. It's a trio. It's a harp... A violin and something else? It's a trio to play before the wedding, during the ceremony, and then shortly after the ceremony. Flute, okay. flute, violin, and harp. She just yelled at me. Mm. Um, nice. So, yeah. So we have that booked. Um, we have a photographer booked. And we have a DJ booked for the reception. We just right. need to. Apparently, he needs to meet with us to like get a feel for us, which is fucking stupid. Yeah, I think we did that too. But I, I could just I text him that the songs I went. I so want maybe he there. just met with Kelly. Well, the way that we went about it, and it was just the company we used. So they just sent us like a list of every song that they have, okay. and we just could go. We could go through and check songs we definitely did not want to be played. So like every rap song was checked. Sure. And then we also picked ones of, like, what songs do you absolutely want to be played? And those we did fewer because, like, we don't want to pick the whole set list. That's not our job. But they also had, like, a place where you could say, hey, if there's a specific song that isn't on this list that you really want, we can do that too. And so we did um, – there was a dashboard song, I think, that they didn't have that we really wanted to use. Okay. Oh, it was for our first dance, the oh. dashboard stolen song. And they didn't have that, but they went out and got it to use it for that. So – Maybe that's what he wants. To, why he wants to meet with you guys is to figure out like your style and stuff. Because music is really I don't important have a at a wedding. Style, but I'm I think styleless. it's styleless. For me, the most important part was making sure they understood stuff we did not want to be played. Yeah, and I can send that was that the in a text. Piece. I don't have to meet with the weirdo. Okay, all right. <laughs> I'm just lazy, Shay. Yeah, I think that's the problem. Because it sounds like they're doing a good job. It yeah, doesn't no, sound they like are. they're the ones with the issue here. It's just extremely inconvenient for me, who doesn't want to go in To leave your house. I know, it sucks. It's um, the worst. Yeah. So, a- anyway, like before we jump into all that, all the other stuff, um, we just I just closed, because we're recording this on su- the day before it goes up, presumably, um, I just closed out our little winter show that we were doing. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. Our black you were sending me some pictures. Yeah. Um, so we set up the stage. Like we closed the main curtain, had the back curtain, uh, and then had we painted some of our flats black and then put them up on the sides and then had mm-hmm. platforms in the middle and kind of did a thrust stage setup with all the seating on the stage. Um which describe that for folks that don't know what a thrust stage is. Yeah, so it's it's like the seat the seats are in a horseshoe and the stage is in the middle of the horseshoe. Um, yeah. 
So it's not it's not an in the round. It's not like a square. It's, not a full it's round. It's three three sides of a square. So right. there are folks sitting literal on the side of the stage. Right. Um, and you know we didn't do auditions for the show. It was any kid who wanted to be in it could be in it. We initially had about thirty kids, which was giving me heart palpitations. Um, but around seven or eight of them dropped out at one point or another. So we mm. had seventeen pieces, and we knocked it down to twelve. Two of them were pieces that I wrote. So, um, those kids did not drop. So the ratio of the pieces I had written to the pieces I had not grew exponentially when those kids dropped, which made me feel a little weird. Um, but I don't know, like the kids really liked those pieces, I guess they said they were their favorite, but that might just be them kissing my butt. Um, (laughs) they also, cause they normally get me a gift every show. Uh, they get the, both the directors a gift for every show. Uh, and they, uh, my one from the fall show had been on back order. Um, and it is the hat I'm currently wearing. And it says, yeah. I can't, it's tech week, which <laughs> if only they knew how many times <laughs> I've said that. So it was pretty perfect. It's a, yeah, it's a, funny. a fun little gift, but yeah, in, in the show, it went over really well. We were about, we were able to seat. I had 50 chairs out. And I was expecting, like, okay, you know, like, 30 friends and family and then, you know, 20 others. Um, that'll probably, we probably won't even fill the house with that. We'll probably get, like, 30 to 40 people per, per performance because we did Friday night and Saturday night. And, like, it was, like, n- feels like negative seven. So, I was, like, people aren't going to want to come out because of the weather. But, um, so, house opened at 6.30 and the show started at 7. And 6.38 mm-hmm. rolled around on Friday night and there were three people in the theater. And I was, like, oh, no. Mm-hmm people aren't going to come like these kids put all this work into it i put all this damn work into it no (laughs) one's going to come and then by seven o'clock we had to set out more chairs we had to find space for more chairs we had 53 people show up friday and then 51 showed up saturday um so completely full house both nights we had like just enough space yeah um so that was really really neat and we got a lot of really positive feedback from people like because nothing's been done like nothing like that has been done at, at, at the school before yeah for sure um and so we, we had a lot of really positive feedback which which made me feel good um uh so yeah it, it, it went over really well and we're gonna set strike on monday or tuesday maybe not monday because with any luck <laughs> school will be canceled again because it's supposed That's to so like, nuts it's supposed to freezing rain and snow starting at like one thirty or 2 a.m. Um, on Monday. So if it's in a bad spot, they would probably cancel school. It's supposed to snow to like 1 p.m., um, which would be an hour before they let out or an hour and a half before they let out. So, I mean, we'll see. just the, the, the fact that they would close school because it's too cold yeah. is crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, like, well, because they have kids that walk from the neighborhoods right. nearby, uh, and they can't have those kids walking in sub-zero temperatures i think that's yeah the, I think but that's the i also like if, it, if it's below ne- if it's negative i think they can yeah it, and i mean i think I, it's a state mandate too i i get it it's just like i don't know that seems like a pretty crazy reason to not have school yeah because yes yes the kids having to walk there that sucks like that doesn't seem very safe but how many kids are walking to school compared to kids that aren't it's like less than 10 percent. i don't know it just seems weird to me for them to close school like that but Ohio closed school a lot yeah. for a lot of different reasons. And I still get paid. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
So yeah, man, that's the benefit of uh, being on a salary too. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not salaried. I'm hourly. But they calamity days are oh, part of the. Yeah, we get paid for calamity days. Yeah. So I mean, that's one benefit of like where I am working salary too. Because if weather's bad, where they close the office, I'm still expected to work from home, but I get to stay at home. Yeah. And that's pretty nice. It's hard for me to do my job at home. Yeah, I would imagine. Have just have all the kids come over. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like a babysitting. No. <laughs> they got you got plenty of stuff in your house that they would love to play with. Oi. Um well, actually one <laughs> of my kids was in the show though. She um Oh cool. Yeah, she she did a, a short little monologue, which I think people appreciated that we let her do that. Um I mean she did what I figured she would do and um Yeah. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> all right, that's probably she had a best. great time. She like she really loved. That's it, what which matters. Is awesome. That's yeah. what I care. I mean, about. obviously, you want everybody to go out there and do good work, and you put all this effort in. But at the end of the day, it's high school kids doing theater, and they're only doing it because it's fun for them. So that's right. the goal is for them to have fun. Right. And I, she seemed like she had a blast. So yeah, that's I'm, awesome. I'm happy for that. Um, well, cool. So I guess we can kind of dive into what we've been playing, watching, and reading lately. Uh, so first, looking at our show notes doc, it looks like you just bought a bunch of comics. So I want to hear about that first. <laughs> yes, it's been a little while since I bought any of my comics. I bought like one or two here or there that like I really couldn't live without. Um, but I realized it's been a while and, and like I buy trades when they come out. Right. Um, uh, primarily. So... I, I figured there were going to be a whole lot of things that I had missed out on, and there were. So, uh, volumes five and six of the ongoing Star Wars series, the reboot, um, mm-hmm. I got those. I got Descender, volume four, which is that sci-fi one about the androids that I've told you to read. Um, sure. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, it, it ha- a, a little Mass Effect-y. Um, right. Saga, volume eight. Because Saga mm-hmm. is one of the best ongoing comics currently. Mm-hmm. Um, East of West, Volume 7. Not because I think East of West is really good, but because I'm six volumes in and I refuse <laughs> so to give up. now you're in it forever. Yeah. yeah. There, are good, there are good moments. Um, and I, I like the the world and like the character design. Um, yeah, it's sort of a Western yeah. thing. Yeah, like uh, kind of like Western fantasy, post-apocalyptic, futuristic, right. kind of a, a mesh, a mishmash of a bunch of different things. Um, and uh, just going because for people that don't have all the context, we should probably give a little bit for these saga. I, I totally agree with you. Saga is one of the best comics that I've ever read. I love reading that, and uh, I keep trying to get my wife to start reading it because I think she would enjoy it too. Despite, I mean, it's very sci-fi and yeah. fantasy as well. But I always describe it to her as like. It's Romeo and Juliet in space, and everyone murders everything. <laughs> and has sex with each other a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. They have sex and murder everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It's pretty good. Um, although, I would hazard to say you don't need to include the murder bit, because you already mentioned Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, Shakespeare has a lot of murder. But it's more like the star-crossed like, lovers. Yes, it's, yeah. It's two two people that are from different cultures that are at war with yes. one another, and they have a child, and they're trying to run away from the war, etc. It's really, it's awesome. Yeah. Very, very funny, and obviously incredibly violent, but uh, <laughs> super heartfelt as well, because yeah. you get a lot of the growing up of the daughter character, from being a baby to a toddler, etc., and 
it's it's just really freaking good, man. Yeah, and like the cast of characters is is yeah fantastic. Um, I got Low Volume Four, which that one's about um like the surface of the world is uninhabitable, and so there've mm-hmm. been these like underwater societies for generations. Um, so I got Volume Four of that. That one I read the first trade. Did I borrow that from you? I think. Or did so. I buy it? Okay, I, I might have borrowed it from you. I, I just. I had a hard time getting into it. I really liked the concept, and maybe it was partially the art style was a little messy. Yeah, it is. Kind of was hard hard to follow. Um, but I certainly love. I liked the concept. I think more than I enjoyed actually reading it. Yeah, they use a lot of similar color tones, and so it's kind of hard yeah a to lot pick of reds out a bit. Yeah, a lot of red mm-hmm. and brown. Mm-hmm. Um, I got Star Wars Poe Dameron Volume Two, um, and the Star Wars Darth Maul uh, collected trade. Because um, there was a mini series that came out recently of Darth Maul. It's like five. Oh, it's like five or six issues, and this trade collects it. Um, kind of a one shot thing. Um, Walking Dead Volume Twenty Eight, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's another one that you're just getting it because you feel like you have to now. No, I, mean, I still really enjoy Walking Dead comics. Really? I, I think they're still going really strong. Um, cool. And then from is it Kirkman who does Walking Dead? Is that his name? Yes. Um, he also wrote the comic, an ongoing comic called Outcast. Um, he started it after The Walking Dead, and I have never read it, but I mean, I really like Walking Dead, so I, I want to check it out. So I got the first two books, which is like the first twenty-four issues um, okay. of Outcast, and they're like they're nice, they're hardbound, and um, I think they they look really nice. So, what's the concept of that? It's not dissimilar to Walking Dead, but I, I think it's like society has broken down, but it's not like because of zombies. It's because of something else. Um, oh, well, that's pretty different than The Walking Dead, I would say. Yeah, but it's also, it's, you know, a broken society thing. Sure. It's like a semi post apocalypse kind of thing. Just sure. no zombies. Yeah. And okay. I, I don't know that I would say apocalypse level, but like broken society. Um, okay. I personally would qualify The Walking Dead as post apocalypse. Yeah. Because <laughs> the zombie apocalypse happened, You're right? But yeah, I don't, when, I don't when like there's like one percent of humanity left, right. and the rest are zombies. I think that qualifies as an apocalypse level event, right? Yeah, I don't know that Outcast necessarily does is, is that far, right? Okay. So I'm I'm cool. curious to see what's going on there. I still have trades two and three of Orchid to read, and I need to f- mm-hmm. I need to finish my giant thirteen hundred page book. And mm-hmm. there is another book from that series that actually came out before the giant one, kind of like a bridge, bridging the gap piece. Okay. Um, it's like a few hundred pages that I got that I need to read. Um, oh God. I, I don't know. I have so many, I have too many, too many books, so many books. You're inspiring me to get back to comics. Every time I go in my closet, I see my like stack of trades that I've bought over the past six months that I still haven't touched. Cause like, I, I think it's volume eight of saga that I have as well that I haven't read yet. And I have some star Wars trades, a couple of image things that I just picked up. Mm-hmm. One of them that I think is called black magic or something like that. That just looked really cool. I don't even freaking know, Yeah, but it was, I think it was like, Oh, you know what? It was after my birthday. I had like extra money after my birthday in April of last year. And so I went to the comic book store and spent like $150 on trades. That's what I spent. And I've only I've only read a couple of them. I have a bunch of Batman stuff. It's it sucks. I just I love comics, but because I'm always like one toe dipped in, I never really commit. Right. Which I is good because otherwise I'll spend $800 to catch up. Yeah. But it's just like 
I don't know, because I'm not fully immersed in comics anymore on a weekly basis, I just, I look at my stack of comics and then I look at my stack of video games and I tend to go with the video games. Right. Yeah. And I like, I tend to read when I'm like site managing and and working. Yeah, Um, absolutely. If you have a good means of like where you can't do those other things, that's, it's perfect for that. Yeah. So I almost never read at home, which is a shame. I would like to more, but yeah, like you said, I'm always picking the video games. Yeah. So, um, those are all the comics I bought. Speaking of video games, yeah. we've both still been playing a lot of stuff. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll jump in with a couple yeah. quick hitters first. Yeah. So I, I put maybe like another 30 minutes in, into Nier uh, since we talked last episode. A whole 30 minutes. And I know, exactly. Point being, I played it for like 30 minutes and I was like, you know what? I'm still not, like I'm just not getting that much out of this and there's other stuff I want to play. So I just kind of put that away. And I've been listening to the Giant Bomb Game of the Year podcasts and I still have like, I think I'm, I just started day four, so I still have a lot to listen to. But okay. up till this point, they've just they talk about near all the time, yeah. all these amazing, crazy moments and the characters they love, the music, etc. And I like, I want that. I just I haven't seen anything like that that's blown me away. We talked last episode about that one like robot orgy scene, which was certainly wacky, but it didn't <laughs> like it didn't blow me away. Like, oh, this is so crazy the way that they describe a lot of those near moments and it sounds like a lot of those crazy near moments happen in like second third fourth playthroughs which that's how the the game is designed for you to beat it multiple times and subsequent playthroughs become shorter and you're only doing specific missions etc but i don't know i'm just i'm not getting that much out of the combat it's weird but it's not super interesting to me at this point the game is straight up fugly and it's just i don't know i'm it's it's not hitting me the way that I really want it to, so I might just say sorry, Nier. I'll come back to you next year in the summer when I'm bored. Right. That's. I think Nier's a summer game for me. Um, yeah. I have too many other things that I want to be spending time with to force myself to play that. Exactly. And that's how it feels. Like when I loaded it up, I felt like I was forcing myself to play it because I want to get to those crazy bits. But the game, I mean. I've looked online because I've been checking like how long it takes to beat a lot of these games so I can help use that to prioritize. And it's like the first playthrough in Nier can take like 20 hours. Plus you have like the second and third, which are like six to eight hours. And then the beyond that, it's a couple hours for each one. Like that's like a 40-hour game. Yeah. And I'm I'm like two to three hours in and I'm not really having fun. I don't know that I can commit another couple hours in the hopes that it will grab me, and then I need to sink another 30 hours into it. That's just too much for me. So instead, I have been playing Pyre, which is very good. I'm not, not like, over the moon for it. Um, I'm not, like, crazy far into it yet either. I guess from a conceptual level. So it's made by Supergiant Games, who made Bastion and Transistor. I had never played Bastion, like, when it first came out. Transistor was their first game that I played. I really liked it, but it didn't blow me away. Like, I loved the visuals and the way they used the voice acting, and the combat was really interesting and unique. It didn't click with me until the late game, and then I had a lot of fun with it. But the story for me was, like, too... Not weird, but, like, too... um, 
I couldn't get my hands around it. Like I, I had a hard time following it and figuring out what it really was because it, it felt more like a game of world building than an actual narrative. And so after that, I went and played Bastion and I felt the exact same way. I loved the combat in it. I thought the characters were great. I loved the voiceover for the narrator, main character, God thing. But again, the story, I was like, I'm not sure what I'm doing here, what the point of all this is. All that to say, guess what? Pyre's the same way. <laughs> so it <laughs> yeah. looks amazing. It has this great hand-drawn kind of aesthetic that's very fluid. Uh, and there's not too much to it in terms of visuals because you're either in the actual rights, which is like the combat scenarios, and it's basically like sports. Like it's like a new sport that they invented. It's very basketball-ish where you have three okay. against three. Only one person can move on each team at a time, and you kind of are trying to dunk the ball effectively into the other per team's pyre. And uh, so you can like pass it to your characters. You have a thing called an aura that you can use to banish guys from the other team, so they come back in a couple seconds. So it's it's very strategically focused. I've played through maybe seven or eight rights battles, and I haven't lost yet, but a lot of them have been very close. Okay. And so when they are close like that, it feels that like intense competition sports kind of mentality that's really exciting. Uh, all the stuff around the edges I'm less excited about. I like the characters, but the story, again, is very... It's just not solid. It's like this smoky, gaseous story that I'm having trouble really getting. Mm. Um, but I'm enjoying a lot of stuff about it. It's just not like I'm not fully in love with it yet. But I am still pretty early on. It's like a 20-hour game, I think. Um, might be a little shorter than that, depending on how you go about things. But I'm a couple hours in, and I'm really enjoying it. I just haven't hit that point where I'm like fully in love with it. Uh, there's a system where you go through the rights and kind of make your way up the ranks, and then basically you get to the championship game. And you live in a place where everybody there is exiled from what's called the Commonwealth, which is like the quote-unquote real world. And I don't know much about the Commonwealth. My gut tells me that everything is not as it seems, and the, way, the reason people want to get to the Commonwealth, there's something missing there. Because uh, for a lot of the characters, they don't really remember life before being exiled. So I think there's something going on there. But anyway, the goal is everybody wants to get back to the Commonwealth. And so through these rights, if your team wins in the championship game, one of your players gets to go back to the Commonwealth. He's unexiled. So I just escalated my first character uh, last time I played. And like... It was a cool moment of like figuring out who I wanted to send back because it's like I kind of don't want to send back the guys that I use most because I like their moveset. But by using them more, haven't they earned the right to go back to the Commonwealth yeah. like from a humanitarian perspective? And then there's there are characters that I certainly identify more with than others. And it was it was like a cool moment of like. I'm like I'm playing God, kind of. I'm getting to decide which of my team gets to go back to the life that they want, and it was a it was a powerful moment. And so now I get to do that a bunch of other times, <laughs> assuming I win, because the game right. continues even if you lose a match. Really, oh. nothing changes. So I can lose in the championship, and then a player from the other team is the one that gets risen back to the Commonwealth. So there's like a whole thing there too, because there are a lot of you play the same teams. There are like six or seven different teams, and you, it seems like you play them over and over again. 
And there are a lot of characters on the other teams that I really like. And I'm like, dude, you you deserve to go back to the Commonwealth too. So I can imagine a scenario where like I'm playing against a particular character that I'm like, oh, I think he deserves to go back. And maybe I'll lose the championship on purpose so that he gets huh. to go. It's just like that that part of it's really, really fascinating. So I wonder if you could I guess just, the more I'm talking about it, the more I'm liking yeah, the game. Honestly. I wonder if you could just intentionally lose every match and ele- like elevate all of the other teams up. Well, there are enough characters on the other teams that like you couldn't do that and then have no one to play against, if that makes sense. Okay. Cause I think if a guy on the other team, and I haven't seen this, so I'm, I'm assuming here, but if a guy on the other team was escalated back, there would just be a new person on their team. So okay. you're still facing three people. But well, I, w- I wonder talk if about the game it. has like a time limit, like a certain number of matches you go through, or if it's like you play until you've sent all your characters up. I really don't know. I mean, I know in the story of the game is kind of the leader of your troop he is trying to incite a revolution in the Commonwealth for, like, all these exiled people to fight back. And that's the main story. Nothing's really happened with that yet. He's still, like, planning it. So I don't know... I don't know when the game ends. I don't know if that revolution happens or if it ends... If I keep playing until all of my guys go back. I really have no idea. Um, But I'm kind of more interested to learn about it now that I've talked through the game. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I'm excited to keep playing that. So what about you? What other uh, what games have you been playing? Um, I picked up Persona Five um, mm-hmm. because they talked about it a little bit during the Game of the Year deliberations, and I've never really gotten into a Persona game before. Yeah, um, and there are a lot of really strong elements, but the so the the cycle of the game is you have a host of characters that all together go into um, this other world and they attack basically someone's mindset. And once they Mm. have done enough damage to this person's mindset and done certain things to make, uh, uh, like, their, their warped desires then that person can change in the real world and, mm-hmm. like, atone for their crimes and, like, feel badly for what they've done. So, like, you're basically... You're you're attacking in this other world these bad, bad dudes and chicks and, like, changing who they are into, like, right. better people so that they then, like, turn themselves in and atone for what they've done. Um, so you do that, and then you also are, like, a student in school and you have, like, a, a life... And you're supposed to be spending your time, uh, like, so, so you, you have to go to school certain days, and then after school, like, your time is yours to do with what you will. Like, you train in these other things that help you form more relationships with people, which affects how powerful these, like, spells you cast are, um, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. So it all kind of directly feeds back into the gameplay, um... So you're always trying to decide what to do. So you always have something in your mind of like, okay, this is what I'm going to do this day. This is what I'm going to do this day. But like every other day, the game will like play a day for you. Like there's an event that happens that makes it so you can't do what you want to do. So it's impossible to plan anything. Okay. Um, And there are deadlines. Like it's like the the first palace that you're assaulting of this guy 
Um, like you have 30 days until he like goes to the school board and gets you expelled. Um, so you have to like beat his palace and steal his treasure and affect his mind within the 30 days. So I was like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll do this, this day, this, this day, I'll see how far I can get. And then I'll have a few more days of prep. I'll jump back in a few more days of prep, jump back in. But like, there were like stretches of like two or three days where I couldn't accomplish anything. It was just going through events and these like long winded dialogue segments of Mm -hmm. like barely character development or like (laughs) things that are barely interesting. And so like, that's really frustrating because like they, at the beginning, they're like, you're going to have to choose what to do every day. I'm like, okay, well that's, that's good. Like I would like to be able to craft my character how I want and like form these relationships how I want. But then they completely take that agency away from you more than half the time. Um, Mm. And it's like you go to school and then you are, you have enough time to do like one, maybe two things depending on the day. And you don't know what the day is going to be like. You don't know what's going to happen. And it's, it's just, it's frustrating. Like it's maddening because it's like, well, I need to craft these lock picks because otherwise I can't open chests for rare loot in the palace. But every time I'm able to craft a lockpick, some stupid bullshit's happening, and I have, like, five <laughs> days left on my timeline until yeah. this thing happens. And then, so you you jump in, and I almost failed the game because you I, I jumped in, and I got all the way to the end, and it didn't tell me I had to do this. I had to leave, a, I had to leave put out a calling card, and another day had to pass, and then another day had to pass for me to jump back in and finally finish it. And so it was two days before the end, and I jumped in, and I was like, okay, we have to put the calling card. So I jumped out, and time progressed itself oh, to sure. there was one day left, and they did the calling card thing, and yeah. then there were no days left, and I jumped back in and finally beat it. But, like, what if I hadn't been able to beat it? I would have been fucked. Like, yeah. Like they, so wh- what happens then if you were unable to do that? You lose. You lose. Like you get the a game. game over, basically. Yeah, and then like wow. it, you'd have to reload a save or something. And but like, what if, what if you don't have a good it's like good Majora's save? Mask? Yeah, like what if you don't have time? To, like what if you only have one save file and you don't have enough time to go go back and like train? You don't have enough days to do that. Like, right. I don't know. I it seems like it's set up in such a way that it should be very possible for you to fuck yourself because of information mm. they don't give you. Um so that's been really frustrating and also um all of the characters in the world apart from your core crew fucking assholes. Like you walk <laughs> down the street and like little speech bubble things of like snatches yeah. of conversation you pick up and like, ooh, what a weirdo. Like that guy's weird. Like, is isn't he that guy, that transfer student? Like blah blah blah. It's everyone. And like all of the adults <laughs> are assholes. They're all horrible yeah. people. And they set up nobody for you to actually like them, apart from hmm. the people in your team. And so it feels like the entire world is against you. Like the guy you live with is a fuckface. He's such a dick all the time. Gives you no <laughs> latitude. And the whole premise of the game is there was a lady being assaulted on the street and you step in and beat the guy up. 
but he's a politician so he like ruins your life and you have to move mm-hmm. and then everyone mm-hmm. treats you like you're this terrible awful violent person because this guy mm-hmm. ruined your life and then there was a cutscene where you bump into that guy again and my character was like he looks so familiar where was he from you wouldn't fucking <laughs> remember the guy who ruined your damn life are you kidding me yeah does he have amnesia no he's just <laughs> stupid he's a stupid idiot I don't know. I have so many problems with that game. It's very long-winded, and it takes you on these, like, half-an-hour sessions where you're like, okay, I have have shit I need to do, and you're not letting me fucking do it. And it's like, Mm -hmm. so you get back, like, late at night, and you're like, okay, I want to make a coffee because that restores this stuff in the other world. And, like, oh, no, I can't make a coffee today because I have to go back to sleep. I want to train. No, you have to go to sleep. You don't have time for any of this stuff. It's like, well, then why let me walk around in the room if I can't do anything anyways? It's very – it's – it is maddening. There are elements that I really enjoy. I think the combat's a lot of fun. Like mm. when you're in. Sorry, I'm gonna sneeze. Maybe. <laughs> I'm getting too worked up. There you go. Oh, let it all Bless out. See you. Let me time mark that. Um, you know, it's it's like the palaces that you go into are fascinating. Um, let's see, that was okay, and like. I don't. I don't know. It, the, the combat's great. The exploration's great. Like all of the game is dripping with style. Um, it right. looks awesome, and they have actual animated cutscenes uh, sprinkled throughout. Um, yeah, I don't know. There are so many good parts that it's such a shame that it 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 backpedals on that player agency it promises you in the beginning yeah. so hard. Um, well, and it sounds like the characters too, because well, maybe the the characters in your squad are good, but I always hear like in Persona games, the cast of characters are like one of the big selling points. Right, and like there are there are interesting characters, but right now they're all fucking assholes. And That's too bad. Yeah, it's it's a shame, and I'm sure like because as you go through and you do activities with these different characters, you're raising your relationship level with them. So I'm sure they mm-hmm. like as the game goes on, they get more bearable. But right. like right now, like I've been playing for 16 hours, and wow. it's been 16 hours of, oh, this fucking weirdo, like, I can't believe he's here, like, bleh. or like, you better not fuck up at school because you're mm-hmm. out of here, like, one misstep and you're gone, and it's like, no one gives you any latitude ever, they're always in your face about everything, and it's so frustrating, it's like, I've been. It's like I've been playing the fifth Harry Potter book for sixteen hours. Yeah, I was just. I was just That's gonna bring up. Like. It sounds like reading the fifth Harry Potter book, where it's that like injustice, that sense of injustice mm-hmm. that goes beyond being fun and just like ruins your experience. Yeah. Like there's that level that I felt like Umbridge crossed of like I don't like reading this book. It's not just that it's frustrating and I can't wait to see Harry win. It's like, I legit don't want to read this book because of this chick. Yeah. It sounds like it's the same thing. Like it's not, Oh, they're giving me an obstacle to climb. It's man. These people make me not want to live in this world and play this game. Yeah. And that's, that's really a bummer. And there's this girl who tried to commit suicide. And so she's in the hospital now uh, because of all these events. And it's like uh, been like a couple weeks in game time since that happened and there are still people that are like she's just doing it for attention like <laughs> she should have died like it just wow. like you walk by and there's some shitty wow. thing someone says and you're like this game this world is awful <laughs> i don't want to save this world yeah and and like oh man and so, you know maybe 
I just found out that there's like this other area for like the general populace. So like there are these palaces that are like created in this other world when someone is like a really bad person, but then there's mm-hmm. like a general world other world where like people who aren't as bad but are maybe like did one shitty thing once mm-hmm. and like you can change them and what they do and stuff. And so maybe it's like I don't know if it's everyone's shitty so this other world exists or this other world exists so everyone's shitty. I'm not sure if the Got connection it. is there or, or like if that's what they're trying to say. I, I don't know. But like it doesn't make it doesn't make me feel good when I play it. Yeah. Yeah, for and sure. And like the game it's has so much style and it looks awesome and it's a blast to play the combat. Mm-hmm. But then it's like I step out of that other world into the real world and it's like, man, this is worse than real life. That's a bummer. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you need to play Persona 4 because I know a lot of people that love the Persona series yeah. were disappointed with 5 and still say 4 is like definitely the best game. Yeah. So if you're enjoying all the other stuff, the style and the combat and that kind of thing, it sounds like maybe you would still enjoy Persona 4. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I would. Um, so 16 hours of that. <laughs> um, are you going to keep playing it do you think I think so because Karen and I are playing it together like she's watching and right, like sure, sure. telling me what I should do and like helping out and yeah. stuff so I will probably play a little more of it but at a certain point if it, if things don't start looking up holy hell yeah. man I can't yeah. um, I bought Project Zomboid on PC which is like an it's an isometric zombie survival game mm-hmm. way too many systems like I loaded mm-hmm. it up and I, I did the tutorial and like the UI is bad, the interface is bad, and there are like five million things you have to worry about. And it's mm-hmm. like the direction your character is looking is the only direction you can see anything in, which for like Jeez. a top-down isometric game, like that doesn't feel good to play. Yeah, it's more realistic, but like it's kind of miserable. Um, yeah. So I stopped playing that. I put like a, I played the tutorial and like tried a regular world of it. And it was like way, it was too overwhelming, and I wasn't ready to mm-hmm. jump into it at that time. Um, I played What Remains of Edith Finch. Did you play the whole thing? Yes. Nice. Um, I think that game. Um, that game is worse than the sum of its parts. I, I think individually, mm. all of the stories are poignant. Um, I think they're effective. And they're creatively told, but I don't think they're tied together that well. Okay. And I I don't like what they did with the main character <laughs> at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I did have this really crazy moment. I was playing it for an hour, and then I looked down. I was like, maybe I can see my character model. And I looked down. And I'm like, oh, she's pregnant. And, and, yep. and then, like, a couple minutes later... I was walking through an area and she started talking about her pregnancy. So that yeah. was like a cool, like I noticed it before the game told me about it. Sure. Um, so that was, that was a cool moment. Um, though, but I feel like that's what that game is. It's a lot of cool moments that don't necessarily come together. All yeah. That well. I see your point on that. I, I, re- I mean, there were certainly some vignettes that were more effective than others, but on the whole, I really liked all of them yeah. for different reasons, but the greater kind of narrative of her revisiting this place and figuring out why people from her family die, that never really becomes satisfying. That answer right. never really happens in a way that feels 
like you you just justified the previous you know several hours playing the game so yeah i can definitely see that for me though like those vignettes especially the one the ones that kind of stand out in my memory the most like the cannery sequence yeah, obviously course. and the the tie-in to unfinished swan with the black and white with the paintballs yeah. and that kind of thing and um the one that I really liked too of the kid on the swing, like that was a really short one, and like you knew it was going to happen yeah. right away, but just actually physically being the person in control of that happening, I just thought a lot of those were really like phenomenal gaming experiences. And I like, would one say of one of the, where... the dis- most disturbing one was the baby in the bathtub. Yeah, man, I, I was that like, was I, I was bonkers. I was sitting in the bathtub, and then the mom walked away, and I was like, "They're gonna make me kill the baby." Yes. Yes. <laughs> But like, but like it hell? was all that was also really fun, like having the jumping you know characters and like all the colors yeah, and, and stuff. I felt like, bad about how fun oof. it was. Yes, that was brutal. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating game. I, yeah. I definitely, uh, as a whole experience, I enjoyed Unfinished Swan more because it had more of a narrative, and I really liked how they altered the gameplay in that game, and it kind of built upon itself. Yeah. Versus this, where it's like a bunch of different ideas that don't really connect. Uh, but there are a lot of pieces that, like a lot of things about Unfinished, or sorry, um, about this game, What Reigns of Edith Finch, that's the freaking name of it. A lot of things about the game that I'm going to remember for a while. Yeah, Especially me too. that cannery sequence. That was one of the most affecting like sequences in a game I've played in years. Yeah, that was, that was something else. I, I wish I hadn't heard about it beforehand. Um, sure, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think... Um, Every every one of those little vignettes has uh, kind of an, an important takeaway, um, and they're very effective. But um, yeah, I, I'm not super satisfied with the way it wraps up. Um, mm-hmm. I played Kingsway on PC, which so what is that game? It loads up like it's an old like Windows 95 OS, and it's an RPG that you play. But the whole OS is utilized. Like, there's icons on the desktop to open, like, your inventory and Hmm. your map and your quest log and stuff like that. And then uh, during combat, it's like a pop-up window and you have all the controls. (laughs) And sometimes, like, to make it harder, the windows are moving. So you have to, like, try to click on stuff as they're moving. Um, And it's it's this, like, active time battle thing where you have a gauge that goes up and the enemy does too. Um, So it, it was really neat and I was enjoying it. And then I died, and it uh, was a permadeath game, and I didn't know it. Wow. And there's no way to save. So I was playing it for about an hour. So you stopped playing it. <laughs> yeah, I uninstalled it. So. <laughs> that sucks. So watch out. Kingsway is a permadeath game. Oh, man. That's brutal. Yep. I'm just, I'm not a fan of that genre. I just don't, I don't. And even games that are specifically designed for you to learn, like the whole roguelike, roguelite yeah, I don't genre, like I just don't like enjoy that. those types of games. I like. To I don't want to like start over. Progress. Yeah, yeah. Um, I bought Miscreated, which is another like post-apocalyptic zombie survival, build a base, mm-hmm. do some cool stuff with some friends thing. Um. I did not know at the time there was no way to play it single player. Like, you can't even host your own server. They have a website you go to that you have to purchase a server or play on one of their public ones. So, I returned it. (laughs) Jeez. 
Sounds like you need to look into these games a little more before you buy them. And well, it was like it was Steam sale, so I was just buying everything. All right, all right. Um, and it was only ten dollars, and I got it back, so whatever. Um, yeah. and Unturned has added the ability to craft skins. Um, so like that's the big, the loot thing from Unturned is you play the game and then you get a drop. It could be a loot box with a random drop or one of the basic drops you just get. And so I had a lot of duplicates of the basic stuff that on mm-hmm. Steam, like I was selling a lot of them, but I had like 30 of them that would not sell because they're so common. Everyone has them and they're selling for three cents, which means I would get a penny for each one. Yeah. So yeah. I'm really glad they added this. Now you can scrap any skin for crafting materials and you pump certain crafting materials into generating a random drop uh, for mm. you. So I did it once and got something not great so i'm gonna wait and see if they tweak that or change it um because i scrapped like 26 things and half of those 13 of them went into making something that was not super great so uh it didn't it wasn't worthwhile it was like the new system was not wasn't worth it it was a skin i didn't have so i will say that that at least was good but it was not like a rare or whatever, like it said it yeah. should be. So yeah. I'm gonna wait on that. <laughs> um, stuff I've been watching. I watched. Well, let me talk about. I have some other video games to oh, talk okay, about. Okay, yeah, you wrap up your video games. You're just gonna talk for like the next two hours. Jeez, well, it's the Kyle talks everything <laughs> podcast. <laughs> the Kyle talks everything. Uh, yeah. So I played um, in my like mad dash to play as many 2017 games as possible. I realized I had a game called Forma.8 or Forma.8. I don't know how you say the name of it, but I got it free on PS Plus and it came out in 2017. So I was like, <laughs> okay, I'll try this. Um, it's basically, I mean, it's like a side scroller kind of, uh, it's not a platformer. Like you basically control this robot head that sort of flies around and there are walls and enemies. It's, I mean, it's fairly straightforward. Okay. Um, there's a little bit of like, small amounts of puzzle solving but it's mostly combat the kind of trick is that it's low gravity and you have like a jet so when you stop moving the character keeps moving okay like inertia or whatever momentum i guess and i hate that yeah me too um, so <laughs> I played it for maybe good. like 40 minutes, maybe an hour, just because I was like, all right, I'm not super into this right now, but I want to give it like a full chance. I'm playing it for no reason. Might as well put a little bit of time into it. And I don't know. I just I kept dying because I just I'm not good at because there are some like tight corridors you have to go through yeah. where there's enemies shooting at you. And it's just hard to control. And I'm sure there's a trick to it of figuring out when to use your boost and that sort of stuff. And I don't know. I, I just wasn't having fun. So. I uninstalled it. There you go. Uh, <laughs> I've been playing We're some more Mario Kart. <laughs> yes, exactly. I've been playing some more Mario Kart 8 on Switch. So initially we got it so that Kelly and I could play it together. And we've done that a fair amount. Um, I'm also playing it more in handheld mode. Just like like if it's a, you know, a Saturday afternoon. And like a, a couple days ago, I wasn't feeling super well. And it was in the evening. Kelly wasn't home. And I was kind of bored. There was nothing I really wanted to do. And I just wanted to kill an hour. So I'm like, let me put a couple episodes of The Office on Netflix on TV. And I'll play some Mario Kart handheld and just do that. And it was so fucking relaxing. And I, granted, I was playing in 50cc, which is probably sure. why it was relaxing. But uh, it was just a, it's just a really nice way to play that game. It's good Very casually. handheld mode. Yes, so um, I was really, well. I'm really enjoying that, and uh, we played a lot 
the two of us and I brought it over for Christmas to her families. And so we kind of traded off and went through that. And now that I'm playing a more single player, I'm kind of going through all of the matches to get, you know, the three stars and every one. So I have them all in the 50 CC. I have them all in the hundred CC and I have a couple in the 150 and then a couple in the 200 already from playing multiplayer. So I will slowly check off all the three star ratings, which that game is, I mean, it's just Mario Kart, but that game's such fucking bullshit. <laughs> I is. love Mario Kart, but I also fucking hate Mario Kart. <laughs> blue Shells, I maintain Blue Shells are top five worst game mechanics of all time. Yeah. Worst consumables ever. Because it doesn't help the person that uses it. That's what a consumable should do. It should help you do better. And it doesn't do that. All it does is punish the person in first place. It's so fucking dumb. I could make blue shells my hate of the week. It's a, it's a sore <laughs> loser item. Yes. Yes. It's, uh, I remember I would be playing with Kelly and she did a lot better. And I think there was actually one map where she beat me and only one out of like the 150 we've done. <laughs> but there were several in the beginning where like she was closer to the last place and she would get a couple blue shells. And so she would use it and then just look at me. Cause I didn't know like when she had used yeah. it. And so she'd use it and just look at me and be like, I'm sorry. And that's <laughs> when I knew that there was a blue shot coming. Oh, I hate blue shells. So um, that's been fun just as like a time waster. Like that sounds derogatory, but it kind of is that like time waster kind of relaxation game. Yeah. Uh, I played, the Star Wars Battlefront 2 single player campaign. So I'm going to assume by the way you said that sentence I have an idea of how you felt about it. <laughs> so all right, so for context, obviously I did not want to support EA's business practices with this game, which is one of the reasons I didn't get it for you for Christmas. I was like if you want to play it, you can buy it. I just don't want to give them my money. Uh, but I wanted to play the single player because it's Star Wars. I fucking love Star Wars. And I knew I didn't want to touch the multiplayer. And so I bought it used from GameStop and beat the single player in a couple of days and then returned it. So I didn't pay to play it. There you <laughs> so go. delete this episode so that the FBI doesn't come after me. But that's their return policy. Yeah. It's not my fault. Uh, so I played through the single player. I did not touch the multiplayer at all. Afterwards, I was kind of like, ah, maybe I should have tried it out just so I could talk about it. But the other part of me was like, no, fuck that game. No. And I knew I wasn't going to like it anyway. I just don't like competitive multiplayer shooters, period. So whatever. But the single player, it's not terrible. Like, it's not terrible. It's fine. There are some sequences that are fun. And it kind of just goes back and forth of like you're on foot, then space battle, then on foot, then space battle. And that gets pretty boring after a certain amount of time because okay. the space battles, most of them just aren't that interesting. Um, it's just like the big scale battles, which look great. And it's so cool to see all the starfighters and the big ships and everything. But you're not really interacting with them in very unique ways. It's like kill these six TIE fighters, then kill this big ship. So, so it's not like the original it. Battlefront 2 where, like, the big ships are the thing you need to chip away at over time. And, like, there are multiple ways to go about that. There are a couple sequences where you're taking down larger ships, like, over a period of time. But you're not really doing, like, it all affect, it. it all boils down to shoot where this objective marker is. Uh, okay. Like, there's nothing really interesting that you're doing in the space battles. Um, 
the on foot stuff that's more fun because like i mean it's a it's a dice shooter like it feels good to play and the guns feel good there weren't really any guns that i loved though like the way that they fire and the zoom and there weren't any guns where i was like i love using this weapon but on the whole like it's still a fun shooter to play like the mechanics work uh and it certainly looks great the story which i don't know if you've seen a lot of people have been talking about it like they pitch it as like hey it's this chick from the league i don't know her actress's name but it's her and like this is her story of working with the empire and then joining the rebellion and that certainly happens, but you only play as her in, like, half the missions. That's kind of The other crazy. times, like, yeah, like, you play as Luke in a level. You play as Leia in a level. You play as Han and Lando in levels. And that's, it's just, like, like, I get it. It's Star Wars. But uh, just like with Battlefield 1, where the single player felt like we're teaching you the mechanics of multiplayer, that's how this feels. So, like... Yes, you play as this main character occasionally, but the focus seems to be more on let's teach you how to use the hero characters for the multiplayer. And that's just like such an un under like it's not worth your time. There's just nothing really special about the single player. It's just very average at best at all times. It's incredibly linear. Like they they're these big open spaces that you can't really move around in because it tells you to get back to the map. It's just, huh. I don't know. It seems like completely underutilized in every single way. And I just, I don't know, man. I'm just kind of, at this point, I'm just kind of done with EA, just in general. Like, I look at Anthem, which is like the big EA game that's supposed to come out next year. And I have zero positive expectations for it. EA had a bad everything fucking going year, on. man. Yeah. And it's not like it's not even just the, the loot boxes and the broken mat, mat, or matchmaking in like their business side. It's purely how they how they look at publishing and developing games what they want their developers and their teams to do and the things they want them to focus on it is purely monetary it's not let's create a good experience so that players will want to buy it want to tell their friends it's how how can we possibly nickel and dime people and the games are designed that way like like my example about the single player is like a tutorial for the multiplayer because the multiplayer is where they're going to get their money they don't give a fuck about creating a good single-player experience because they don't want you to spend time in the single-player. They want you to spend time in the multiplayer so that you feel obligated to buy their fucking loot boxes. Yeah, It's so frustrating because they're they, – like, and like I remember when – a couple of years ago when LucasArts closed and EA got the exclusive publishing rights to Star Wars games where I was like, Ugh, I'm not a huge fan of EA, but they have a lot of talented studios, a lot of big AAA games. Like this is a cool move potentially. And now I could not be more bummed about the fact that EA is the only publisher for Star Wars games right now. Because they're clearly not going to make the most of the license because they canceled that single player game. And there are plenty of behind the scenes stuff of like it seemed like that game was not coming together due to a lot of circumstances inside and outside of Visceral's control. But like they they're not making single player games anymore. At least that seems to be the narrative. And so, like, what are we... Uh, Respawn is working on a Star Wars game. But what the fuck that is that going to be? Another multiplayer shooter? Like, come on, man. It's just... I just have very little interest in the Star Wars games that are being made right now. Which makes me more sad than I can possibly say. Because yeah. I love Star Wars so fucking... There's so much you can do with the Star Wars universe. And they just... Like... It's like, let me give them the greatest hits... 
You can play as all your favorite characters in a bunch of meaningless rebellion battles. Yeah, we added space battles, and they're not fucking interesting at all, but hey, we did it. Like, we said we were gonna. It's just, I don't know, man. Such a bummer. Yeah. Cannot recommend it. Cannot recommend it. I feel like Battlefront 2 is kind of emblematic of Ryan Johnson's directing uh, philosophy, which is, hey, you guys wanted something? Fucking take that. <laughs> Here it is. Here. Yeah, fine. Gave it to Shut you. up. Stop Shut complaining. Up. Yeah. <laughs> Single yeah, player? So. There, you got it. Congratulations. It was it was definitely a bummer. I mean, there were there were like I had some fun. It's just I like I can't think of a single moment where I was like, this is awesome. And in a Star Wars game, that should be pretty fucking easy to do. Yeah. In my humble opinion. That's a bummer. Uh, yeah. Finally, I beat Super Mario Odyssey. So I fucking raced through that damn game. That was all I was playing for like two and a half weeks. Um, it's a very good video game. I have the same problems with it that I've had with basically all of the 3D Mario games in that the camera is an issue and using Mario's shadow as how you know where he's going to land I think can is more frustrating than it works. But I loved most of the world's uh, the stuff that they do with Cappy, the hat that you throw, the way you use that to tr- um, traverse the worlds, interact with things, possess all these other creatures. I thought the whole possession thing would feel a bit gimmicky, and I wasn't really looking forward to that. That was one of the reasons why I wasn't as excited about Mario Odyssey when they first announced it. I fucking loved that shit. They proved me wrong in a million different ways. It's just really fun to inhabit these other characters that have different sort of movement mechanics and the way they interact with things. It's just really inventive. It feels fresh. And there were so many moments of like, this is just fun Mario shit. And that like fills me with that childhood joy that a lot of new games just can't have because they don't have that nostalgia attached to them. Uh, But yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's just a really solid 3d Mario game. And that's honestly kind of underselling it because it, I think it, it rises above that. To me, I mean, Super Mario Galaxy, the first one, is one of my favorite games of all time. I like the le- second one less just because it was somewhat more of the same, just adding Yoshi. This, I don't think, reaches the heights of Super Mario Galaxy in terms of imaginative ways of using their new mechanics. But uh, it's definitely like one of the best Mario games I've played in a really long time. So if you have a Switch... There's really no reason not to play it. Uh, and I know, Kyle, you were with me and not being as excited about this one, but I still think that you would really enjoy it if you if you put some time into it. Yeah, I just feel like I've seen, en- I've seen enough of it that I don't need to engage with it, especially like with all the other things I still need to play. I... Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I do really like to, in it, um, the going back and forth between the 2D and the 3D, there are a lot, like a lot more of the 2D levels than I would have thought, and they're all really fun. There was one of them that's super frustrating that I just decided to quit on. But uh, yeah, there's just a lot of stuff to do, a lot of little hidden things because you're getting these moons. And um, when I was about to beat the game, I had like 260, 270 moons. And I was like, this feels like a lot of fucking moons because I know in Super Mario Galaxy, there were 242 stars total. Okay. And that was all of them. And that's still one of my greatest gaming feats was getting all of the stars in Super Mario Galaxy. And so I had like 270 moons. I was like, this has got to be a lot of fucking moons. I've done a lot of these. And I beat the game and then I looked online to see how many moons there are. And it's a bit of a tricky thing because you can buy moons for coins. So it's like there is effectively an infinite amount. But the amount that you can really earn, there's like 900 moons. And I was like, well, 
I feel way less impressive that I have <laughs> like 300 now. So uh, just because of the amount of things I still have to play, I probably won't put a ton of time into like the post game because well, it unlocks new areas yeah, on each I've planet. I've heard the post and... game is the best content in the game. Yes, yes. And I've played a little bit of it. And uh, so like after you beat the game, you unlock the Mushroom Kingdom kind of prince, uh, P- Princess Peach's castle. So I've done a lot of the stuff there and that's where Yoshi is. So that you have a couple little Yoshi levels and that kind of thing. Uh, and all that's been super fun. But just the amount of things I still have yet to play, I can't put another 15 hours into Mario right now. Right. So I'm going to wait, play some other stuff, and then I'll come back to it and really enjoy that post game. And I am really looking forward to it. I don't know that I will continue to engage with like the uber hard stuff the way I did in some previous Mario games. Just because there are so many things I want to play... I've played a couple little mini levels where I've like died five or six times and it's been frustrating. And so I'm like, ah, I'm not going to do this one. So maybe I'll come back to those. Maybe not, but uh, it's a pretty fucking good Mario game. That's for sure. Yeah. I've gone back and forth on whether or not I want to actually play it. I mean, I have it, I own it. So I feel like maybe I should at some point, but I mean, you just certainly like, you don't need to rush playing it. Right. You can play stuff whenever you want. And I'm saying that just as much to myself as I am to you. <laughs> but I, I think that saying, like, if you watch the Giant Bomb Quick Look and you've seen videos and heard people talking about it, saying that, like, hearing enough of that makes me feel like you're not super excited, I still think you should play it because it is really, really phenomenal. Okay. All right. And maybe you won't, maybe you won't get anything out of it, but it is tough up front. The Cappy stuff, I didn't like as much, like the, for the first couple hours, until you really get used to the different controls and what you can do with it. That's once those things start to click, is when the game takes off. Okay. You really need to get past the first, the first world that you visit is like a desert world that's been frozen over. And that whole world, I was less in love with. But once I beat that one and moved on to the next one, that's when stuff started coming together. Okay. Cool. Um, so what about uh, now you can finally talk about the shows <laughs> you've been watching? Okay. Um, I watched all of Godless uh, Series 1 on Netflix. Man, people keep telling me about it. It was we, very I watch good. It. it was Yeah, we like, need to watch it. So shockingly good. I've heard that it's really, really amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, Jeff Daniels. Mm-hmm. does ace he that's a holy hell he does he <laughs> he does some stuff in that nice it's i was very shocked um because i mean it's just been a long time since i saw jeff daniels do anything besides full house <laughs> sure <laughs> so, well no not full house you, um dumb and dumber thank you dumb and dumber why yeah. was i i was because there, there's a who is the guy in Full House who looks like Jeff Daniels? Yeah, the blonde uncle. Yeah. I don't remember the actor's name, but yeah. Right, but yeah, he kind of looks like Jeff Daniels. Um, I watched seasons one and two of Ash vs. Evil Dead. Um, okay. That, mm, I think I like it. It's a bad show, but it's mm. bad in a reverent B-movie kind of way. Sure. Li- and that, I mean, like that's Bruce Campbell's, yeah. you know, the, the original like Evil Dead. the Evil Dead movies. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, it feels very faithful, like faithfully shot. And there's a yeah. lot of fan service in it, of course. That's it's fun. like all fan service. Um, and the characters are okay. They're okay. So, I, I, you know, I hope they come back for season three. I think they are. Um, so, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. Kara and I are... Uh, actually, no, we finished season four of BoJack Horseman last night. Um, and that actually kind of had a, a large twist 
on a character within the last mm. episode um, that was actually kind of huge. Uh, really, really impactful end to season four. Um, and she and I started watching season two of The Travelers, mm-hmm. which is you know, the time travel show. Right. So the weird thing is, like, there are at least two characters from Travelers who are also in the show Continuum, which is another time travel show. Weird. So yeah, in like, I mean, they're they're um they're not character. A- well, they are kind of character actors, but if they are, they're having them do the same characters. <laughs> That's so, even weirder. Yeah. So it's, are these both sci-fi shows? Um, I don't know. Because uh, that would make it make a little more sense if like the network really likes these actors, that kind of thing. All right, Continuum series. That was on Showcase. Hmm. Um, what is Showcase? I don't know. I've never heard of that network. Oh, boy. It's not Showtime? I can't imagine it was on Showtime. It says Showcase in the picture. Um, is it a British show? No. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Where do you see on IMDb the network? I I don't think it shows on IMDb. Bummer. Um. Well, yeah. Anyways, I've I have no idea. But it's like they they're, and they're kind of ancillary characters. Um. That's crazy. It's just really weird. Maybe it's maybe really it's just weird. typecasting. Yeah. It it maybe I don't know. But it, it's kind of thrown me for a bit of a loop. <laughs> yeah. It's sure. Like they, they're they're playing them the exact. They're different characters. They're playing them the exact same way. I'm like I don't. <laughs> I guess this is all you guys can do, or all they let you do. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. Um, but yeah, I, I think Travelers is a a, a fun one of those because there are plenty of those right. around. Um, it's a fun one of those. So you have a higher tolerance for those I types do. of shows. I have a pretty high tolerance. Yeah. 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 Um. So yeah, that's kind of all I've watched. I haven't really seen any movies since the last episode. Yeah, I'm I'm still on the like trying to watch as many movies as I can. Train. Uh, funnily enough. Um. Because, like, this coming week is my last week at my current job before I start my new oh, one. okay. And so for the past couple of weeks, uh, I haven't had as much work because before, you know, I was one of the primary – one of my primary roles was for writing. And so there were two writers on our team. The other writer left shortly after we were told of our office closure. And so then it was just me for a bit. And they quickly brought on another writer. So there was me and kind of a new guy. Since then, they brought on two other writers. So now there are four of us with them three being the ones that will move forward. And so like most of – like I have a couple projects that I'm working on. But most of what I'm doing is helping them learn kind of our style and a lot – and like not so much training because they're all good writers. But like helping them learn the company and our products, that sort of thing. Yeah. And do, so I'm doing a lot of editing, a lot of like calls and that kind of thing to help teach them stuff. But I don't have a ton of work anymore. And so at lunch yesterday, I uh, went through and – because I was a little bored. And so I went through – because normally like I'll go down and get something from the cafe and work through lunch. Definitely don't need to do that anymore. Right. So uh, during lunch, I went through and w- went through my whole list of movies I want to see and – uh, I found out that before I can, before I feel good about posting a like top ten movies of 2017, there are 33 movies I want to watch. Oh man! And I made a commitment that I want on my like website posting schedule that I want to post that top ten movies first week of February. 
I'm not going to watch 33 movies in February. No. So I've gone through and tried to like clamp down a little bit more on what movies to watch, but it's still going to be an unattainable amount. But anyway, that's why I've been watching a lot of movies. <laughs> so the uh, past two weeks, I saw uh, the uh, Kingsman, the golden circle, which is the sequel right. to Kingsman secret service. The first one, like, I had a fun time with it. It's certainly not a great movie. It's very dumb. Yeah. I mean, it's based on the comic book. It's super over the top, but it was a fun ride. Kelly fucking hated that movie. <laughs> like she, like if I bring it up, she gets a scowl on her face. She hated it so much. So she wasn't super interested in watching the sequel with me. So I watched that myself. Similar feelings. I thought this one was a better movie than the first, just in general. Uh, it just kind of escalates the things the first movie did well and yeah. does them better. Um, but so yeah, I mean, it was fun. It's it's not a particularly amazing movie, but it is a really good time. Were the fight sequences still really good? Because I'm yeah, that's yeah. what stood out to me in the first movie. Where like the fight well, yeah, I mean, was it's, awesome. It's uh, Matthew Vaughn, like the way that he shoots action like that, because he did like the kick ass movies, yeah. that sort of thing. It's just that's kind of his shtick. He's really good at doing that. Uh, similarly to that auteur shift, we watched Baby Driver, which is the most recent. Oh, shit. Edgar Wright. I've lost his name. Most recent Edgar Wright movies, who a lot of people know him from the Cornetto trilogy, Hot Fuzz, Sean um, okay. Shaun of the Dead, yeah. and what, End of the World, I guess. Those three movies, the Cornetto trilogy. So this is his new one. It was cool because it was shot and takes place in Atlanta. So they reference a lot of Atlanta stuff, which was just like a little fun thing. But, I mean, it's about a getaway driver who's like a teenage guy, and he's in trouble with like a mob boss, which is why he has to do the getaway drive. And so he meets a girl they're trying to escape. Like that's kind of the whole plot. And it's just a really well shot, uh, movie, a lot of really fun car chase sequences and actiony bits. Um, but it's mostly like the witty Edgar Wright writing combined with his unique quick cut sort of cinematography. Yeah. It was just a really like, it was it was an awesome awesome movie. Like this, it will be on my top ten list probably. Nice. Uh, when, whenever I put it together, so I wasn't like surprised because I had heard good things, but I was surprised with how great I thought it was because it seemed just like a fun action movie, like Kingsman, and it really kind of raised to the next level in terms of filmmaking stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, he has uh, he has a, like kind of a hallmark or a trademark style. Um, yeah, for that, sure. It kind of sets his pieces apart. I think I I really enjoy his, um his his movies. Yeah, and uh, I was bored and I was at the Red Box and decided to get Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Oh my! Which was torn apart by critics. So this is Luc Besson who did uh, Fifth Element and Lucy. So he's another one of those guys that like he has this great visual style and maybe overreaches a little bit. Honestly, I didn't hate the movie as much as I thought I would. So the problem is the two leads, which they, is seemed, a fairly significant seems problem. Seems like that would be the problem from the, yeah, all the so trailers. That was that was certainly a bummer. Just they neither of them do a good job, and it sucks because Dane DeHaan he kind of came on the scene from that indie film Chronicle, which is like an indie superhero style movie where he played one of these guys who gets superpowers and then he becomes the villain. And he was phenomenal in that movie, like way better acting than you would expect in an indie superhero movie. Sure. And so I was excited for him to kind of get more work. Since then, I've only seen him in a couple things. Like he played Green Goblin in Spider Man 
Amazing Spider-Man 2, and he was terrible in that. Mm. He is terrible in this. And I don't know that all of it is his fault, because Cara Delevingne, who plays the female lead, is a terrible actor. She is extremely attractive, but man, she is not a good actor. She used to be a model. Shocker. Uh, But they just don't have chemistry, and the whole conceit is they're partners as part of, like, the intergalactic space force, and they're partners, and he's in love with her, and she won't give him the time of the day because he's a womanizer. And that's kind of, like, the story. And the problem is, they set that up in the first fucking scene of the movie. Of, like, he he proposes to her. And I'm like, I don't know these characters at all. Why do I care about the will-they-won't-they they yet? Don't introduce mm. that yet. Let these guys build and let me learn about them as characters in their relationship. And then teach me this. Because the whole movie, it's him begging her to marry him. And then at the end, she does because it's a movie. But it was just like, that really turned me off from the get-go because I didn't find either of them interesting. And they just don't have chemistry together. The line delivery is bad. He, in particular, is very one-note. He's going for like a Han Solo cool kind of thing and does not execute it. Um, Bummer. But, again, as a forgettable action movie, you could do worse because it is stunning visually. The way that they play with color and the CG, a lot of it is really awesome. There were a couple moments where I was like, this doesn't look good. But on the whole, like, it's really, really cool what they do. And they find a lot of fun plot reasons to make cool use of the CG, if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I liked it. Or I should say, I hated it less than I thought I would. <laughs> um, I don't regret watching it. Like, I don't feel like I wasted my time. But I legit feel like with two different leads, this would have been a good, or at least an above average movie, which kind of makes it even more disappointing yeah, the way stinks. things turned out. And then finally, I saw the Myrowitz stories, which is a Netflix movie, Netflix original, I should say. And it was one where I was like, on a Saturday, I have a couple hours to kill. Let me see what 2017 movies are on Netflix. And I saw this one. So this is... So, okay. It stars Ben Stiller and Adam Sandler. Oh, boy. And, uh, no, it well, it's, it's a serial comedy. So the conceit is it's this family with adult kids, obviously. And it's just kind of like their lives. So it's told in, I mean, I guess the full name of the film is like the Myrowitz stories, new and selected. And it's based on a book, I believe. Hmm. And it's, it feels like a collection of short stories. So they go from character to character and give you some backstory. And then they all kind of intersect at the end. There's a big thing that happens with the father who I can't remember the actor's name right now. And that's embarrassing. Um, I'm going to try to look it up while I talk about it. But, uh, it's kind of a Dustin Hoffman plays the father. Okay. Um, but it's it's a really good cast. Like Emma Thompson plays Dustin Hoffman's current wife. Um, Elizabeth Marvel is also in it, who I have seen in a ton of stuff recently. So she, I recognized her from House of Cards. She plays one of the people that Frank Underwood is competing against for the presidency. It doesn't matter. She's a really phenomenal actress who I hadn't seen much of until recently. And I'm glad she's getting more work because she's really fucking good. But it's kind of just like their lives and their family life. And so they all like they live in New York City. They're Jewish. The father was a sculptor. He's been divorced a bunch of times. And so like Adam Sandler and Ben Stiller are half brothers. 
So like share the same father, but different mothers. And like, they had a really strained relationship growing up because Dustin Hoffman, the character, he found Adam Sandler's character to be a big disappointment. And so like, he put all of his love on Ben Stiller's character. And then Ben Stiller grows up to not be an artist. He goes into like being a lawyer and he's very successful, but his father doesn't respect what he does. It's a lot of that kind of stuff, just like real life family drama. And it was just really fucking good. Like, really well written. Dustin Hoffman is phenomenal as the father character. It's such a unique character that he creates. And, like, he's such a shitty person. And I just look at these poor guys. And uh, Elizabeth Marble, she plays the younger sister. Who, I would say, like, she kind of gets the short shrift in terms of character development. Which was a bummer. I I wish that we would have seen more of her backstory. But it just sucks to look at these poor kids and, like, the way that their dad looks at their lives. And, like, Dustin Hoffman straight up tells Adam Sandler, like, you were a disappointment. And it's just, like, ugh, it's cringy to watch. And I feel so terrible for them. And the whole theme of, like, how these parents really affect their kids' lives as adults. The careers they choose. How their relationships are. And Ben Stiller, like, despite hating his father for the way he treated him and his siblings, he's doing now the same thing to his son. And his relationship with his wife is strained because his dad has been divorced multiple times. And they just, like... And Adam Sandler obviously hates his dad because his dad didn't love him. But Adam Sandler treats other people the same way his dad treats people. Like, he doesn't respect them. He thinks he's smarter than everyone. It's just, like, the whole putting a mirror up on family life. Yeah. It's a fucking good movie, man. It's really good. Um, There's some interesting choices in cinematography and editing that I felt like were used to highlight the whole, like, short story feel and how it's like told through different characters perspectives so they're like some quick cuts and like characters get cut off in the middle of a sentence and then it jumps to another character in another time Hmm. which like was interesting but it wasn't consistent enough so it felt a little disjointed at times purely from like a editing perspective but uh yeah man obviously a very different movie than the other three that i described but uh it's, I mean, it's up for a lot of awards, and I'm not surprised why the acting is really, really awesome. It's Adam Sandler? It's one of those... Yes. And Ben he's Stiller. Done, yes. When they do serious work, they've done really well in their careers. Huh. And this is like this is that. I mean, yeah. I, I understand your skepticism when I describe a relatively serious movie starring Adam Sandler and Ben Stiller. <laughs> I get it. But I personally have really liked a lot of the stuff that they've done more on the serious side. And this to me is like on a whole other level. I will not be surprised if this is in talks for Best Picture once the Academy Awards come out. Wow. Uh, And then um, some TV stuff that I'm trying to catch up on. So we've been watching a lot of Ultimate Beastmaster Season 2 and Top Chef. (laughs) Those are, if you know those shows, it's more of that. We just love watching those. Um, We watched Season 4 of Black Mirror. Which I have, I have a complicated relationship with Black Mirror because there are a couple like each season there are one or two episodes that like blow my mind with how amazing they are, but there are more often than not more episodes that I'm like that was fucking atrocious, and this season is like that. So there are six episodes. There's one episode that I would say is was really amazing. Three episodes where I was like, this is good or like, okay. And like some stuff I liked, but some stuff I didn't love. And then there are two episodes that I thought were just terrible. 
So it's more like if you have watched Black Mirror, it's more Black Mirror. Obviously, it's a lot of the like how technology might affect us in the future and dealing a lot with interpersonal relationships with technology and robotics and AI, all that kind of stuff. I always love the concept of each episode. It really varies in quality in terms of execution, but uh, it's such a fascinating show. So yeah. I, I, have you ever seen Black Mirror? Um, I watched the first episode, The Pig. That's a tough one to start with. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it. I liked it. I thought it was yeah. really good. I, just, I, for some reason, I feel like to sit down and watch Black Mirror is a commitment. Like, it I, is. Because like, that set the tone for it. So like I know, okay, mm. I have to be willing to sit through not someone, you know, effing a pig again. Right. But, you know, other things that will push boundaries and my comfort zone um so i like it's a commitment to sit down and watch that i have not made yet and i would say most episodes are pretty fucking dark there are a couple that are like nice like the one from this season that i really loved like it was a feel good sort of episode and there are a couple of those as well so it's but you're right like you never know what you're gonna get yeah and like we could only ever watch one episode at a time because none like none of them have anything to do with the others. There is a fun episode, the last episode of the season, which has a lot of callbacks to previous episodes, um, which was really fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, mostly they have nothing to do with each other, and so like because so many of them are so dark, it's hard to watch two in one sitting because right. at the end of it you just are like exhausted yeah, like, oh, emotionally. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like I am terrified for the future. But, uh, man, it's such a unique show, and they do so many cool things. Even if the execution isn't always there, I'm always really enthralled by the concept of each episode. Yeah. We've also been watching Mr. Robot Season 2, speaking of technology. So we watched the first season, like, a year ago, and we're blown away by it. It's such a cool fucking show. Do you know Mr. Robot at all? Um, Not a whole lot about it. One of my buddies really likes it. So, I mean, it's about, like, hacking, basically, and technology. So, it takes place in, like, the quote-unquote real world. But there's a made-up corporation called E-Corp. And all the good guys call it Evil Corp. And, like, they basically run the world, much like corporations in real life. And so, the main character, uh, he kind of works with these other people to take them down. Concurrently, his dad kind of reappears in his life. And he, like, is struggling to remember a lot of stuff from his childhood and that kind of thing. And so his dad is recruiting him to work with uh, this agency to take down the bad guys. And there's a lot of big fucking twists that happen, which I won't spoil in the first season. But it's an awesome concept, awesome execution. The main actor is phenomenal. Rami Malek is his name. And he was nominated for an Emmy for this show in season one. He, like, is fucking phenomenal he has such a unique look he's egyptian and he just has a like interesting face like he has big eyes and he's skinny and just i like looking at his face basically (laughs) it's it's a weird thing to say but as an actor i like watching his face but um 
so it like we took a really long time between season one and season two and so we dove into that like last week and we just had no idea what the fuck was going on because it's a pretty complicated show especially from like a techie side stuff that we don't understand like a lot of vernacular that we don't get and so it's all about context and so like as we're watching the first couple episodes of season two we look at each other and we're like I don't know what's happening. I don't remember any of this. And so we're maybe halfway through the second season now. And the the story's starting to build a little bit more in terms of like the A plot of what's happening. And so we're getting a little more into it. But it sucks because like I think just waiting so long between seasons one and two is hurting our enjoyment a bit. Because yeah. we just don't remember stuff. Right, right. So that's been a bit of a bummer. But uh, it's still just a really fascinating show. And then finally... I got back into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So I've been watching season four, which they just put on Netflix. And that's one of those shows that, like, you describe these, like, sci-fi shows that you have a high tolerance for. That's how I feel about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Like, it's not it's not a good show, no. but I love yep. it. I fucking love it. The writing is terrible. <laughs> yep. It's really cheesy. And part of the problem with the show, I think, is it's an hour-long show, and it still has, like, 22 episodes a season. That's, like... 18 hours of story per season that's a lot so they just i feel like they just rush through plot lines or maybe not like not rush through but they get through a lot of story in a season like on this show one season of this show would traditionally be like four seasons of another drama in terms of the arcs and stuff it has multiple arcs per season yeah and so that becomes like kind of exhausting honestly like if you're watching it so much if you're watching it in the format that you and i watch it in which is you know which is binging binging it it. yeah Yeah, it's like i watch like two episodes a day yeah Yeah, exactly but i I mean it's just a fun show and like being a big marvel fan and i really like a lot of the characters on the show i'm invested in them and so it's just like a fucking fun show to watch i'm at the point i mean mild spoilers for seasons four which i mean season five is currently airing so it's not a huge spoiler but there's a little arc. Have you seen season four? I think so. So there's a little arc where the whole thing is like this season's dealing a lot with AI. So there's an AI character that's created and it's a robot. So it goes bad because science. And so there's a whole thing <laughs> where like this scientist has created what he calls the framework because there is a book. Right. Is this sounding familiar? Okay, yeah. So you've seen I, it. I, I talked to you about this when I initially watched yes. it on the podcast. Yes. yes. Yeah. So there, there's a book that's like evil. But it also gives you intelligence that you wouldn't otherwise have. Right. And because of reading the book, the scientist creates basically a virtual reality where he plugs people in. And you could die in real life and still get to exist in your brain function in the function in the framework. And so I'm at the point in the season now where our main characters go into the framework to try to save some of the other characters who've been kidnapped. Oh, man. It's so weird. And the universe in the framework, like, it's kind of the opposite. Yeah. Like, it's the dark version of reality where instead of shield being like the good guys hydra wins the war and so it's like a police state and there are a lot of parallels to our modern world which i think are like i i roll my eyes when it happens um just about like militias and how politicians manipulate the government and news etc and i just i'm kind of like okay I get it. Come on. <laughs> I don't like I'm not watching this show for its political stance, but like it's just really cool cuz it's like a different show. And one thing I really liked 
Ward came back. I know. So the character from the first season, which I fucking loved, the Brett Dalton is the actor that plays him. I fucking loved his character, and then they completely ruined the character by this contrived twist where he was a bad guy all along, even though there was literally no evidence to that. They just right. made the twist happen, and that was like one of the most frustrating things I can remember watching in a television show in a long time. And just from there, his character was terrible. He was a bad guy, and then like he died, and then he was possessed by this alien thing. It was like they were finding ways to keep the actor on TV. Yeah. And so they finally, after season three, let him die in the end. And so I was like, it, it sucks because I really like the actor. I really like the character at first, but I'm okay with him being gone. And so in this framework, one of our main characters who used to date him before she found out he was, he was a bad guy and then he was still in love with her and she hated him, blah, blah, blah. She wakes up and it's like the, in the framework... The whole thing is like, if your greatest regret never happened. And so the way that things happened, he's she's still dating him. And so like she wakes up, she goes in and sees a dude laying in the bed. And like he sits up and it's him. And I was like, oh, fuck, they're bringing it back for this. <laughs> and like you find out because this world is the opposite, instead of him being a pretend good guy working with Hydra, he now was pretending to work with Hydra but is actually a leader in the resistance. Right. And I was like, this is fucking awesome. And his character so, is so much better. Oh, so much yes. better. So I'm really, really enjoying the story right now in that framework. Yeah. And I know it will only be a couple more episodes before they get back to the real world. But again, like this is an example of like – in a normal show, this whole thing with the framework, that would That's be the, the season. Whole season, yeah. And th- it, like in this, it's like six episodes mm-hmm. where they introduce the concept of the framework. They get kidnapped to go into the framework. Other characters go in and save the characters in the framework. They break out and beat the main bad guy. That's like in that's like the middle third of the season. <laughs> yeah. It's just crazy how they just like fucking run through all this story. Yeah. I feel bad for the writers. That has to be stressful to keep coming up with new I ideas. Know. But uh it's Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D., the best bad television show. Uh, so, yeah, it's just a really fun watch. Um, so now, I mean, we're, we're like, running real long. Yeah. I, it's still, like, there's so many games and TV shows and movies that we're watching, man. It's just, like, that end of the year, well, I guess, beginning of the year push to watch shit and right. do shit. For sure. So, moving on to news, I guess. Um, not a ton of, like, big news, but some things that are pretty interesting. Yeah. So, I guess just some quick hits up front. Uh, so there's a Slenderman movie coming out in May. They released a trailer. I haven't seen the trailer because I don't like horror movies. Did you watch it? I have not seen the trailer yet, but I did. I figured you'd be uh, a long time ago. I watched the, it was a YouTube channel that was like uploading vlogs about this guy who was being haunted by Slenderman. And it was like, it was, it was an art piece. Uh, It was like a a project, an art project Mm -hmm. that this guy did. And it spanned over years. Um, like set, oh, like wow. a few years, and he would like do like blog posts and also release some videos and stuff like that. And it kind of escalated in scale in like a really interesting way. I can't remember the name of it. I'm sure you could find it really easily on Google. Um, but it was really really interesting. So that's kind of was my first foray into like the Slenderman um, mythos. Um, right, because you played the game. Yeah, like I, there are a couple games that I played. Yeah, um, yeah. that really freaked me out. Um, right. The first one more so than the second one. Um, so yeah, I, I know of Slenderman. I think he's an interesting, um, is an, is an interesting, uh, myth. And I think people have done some pretty cool things with him, but I think also yeah. it's kind of, it's pretty pervasive in pop culture yes. now in a way that 
kind of is maybe annoying. Yeah, well, A is annoying, but B strips the impact of right, like what he does and the information behind him and stuff. Um, so yeah, and, and there's like a lot of conflicting information out there about the myth because it's mm. so big now mm-hmm. that yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like this Slender Man movie is kind of. Coming in, it's like weird timing too, because I feel like it, we're right. on the downswing. We're on the, the back trend. end, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it's a weird time for the movie to be coming out. Uh, yeah. But I have not seen the trailer. I need to watch that. Um. So yeah. So uh, we also got a new release date for the final season of Game of Thrones, which is it's been pushed back to 2019, which obviously sucks for Game of Thrones fans. I will also say it sucks for me. Because I want that show to be over. And that makes me very sad with how much I loved the early seasons. But after watching last season, I have absolutely zero faith in the current direction of the show. And at this point, like, it's not like I'm not going to watch the final season. But I just want it to be done so that I can stop being disappointed by it. <laughs> which is such... I know that's a terrible attitude to have, but that's how I feel. So, I mean, I'm disappointed that it's being pushed back, but not for the right reasons. Um we also got news that The Last Jedi has already passed $1 billion gross worldwide. I believe it. Which, not surprising. It's fucking Star Wars. Yep. But that's still like... I mean, the movie came out two months ago. It's pretty nuts. No, a month, a month ago. ago. Uh, so that's pretty crazy. Um, some Nintendo news. So, uh, similarly in sales, the Switch has now become the fastest-selling home console in the history, in the U.S. Right, in the U.S. It has sold 4.8 million units in a mere 10 months, which passed the previous Nintendo record holder, the the Wii, which sold 4 million in the first 10 months. Yeah. So, I mean, good on Nintendo for them. I'm su- very surprised. After the failure of the Wii U, I'm very surprised the Switch has sold this much. I certainly think having games like Mario Odyssey and, and Zelda, Zelda helped sell. Huge. Looking at next year's slate of games with, like, we're supposed to get a Kirby game. We're going to get that Yoshi Yoshi game. I know they're working on a new Metroid. I know they're working on a new Pokemon game. I'm sure we'll get, like, a Smash Brothers game at some point. But I can't imagine any of those coming out in 2018. I'm curious to see how sales work in 2018. Now that those big games are out, there's not a ton of huge stuff on the horizon. Like, uh, it's in terms of, like, system sellers... So we'll see if they can maintain this. I would tend to think maybe not, uh, but great games on the Switch so far, uh, at least first-party stuff yeah. and really third-party stuff. So, um, yeah, and I mean, it's it's cheaper than the other consoles, um, at least the new versions of the other consoles. So right. good for them. I mean, after the failure of the Wii U, everybody was a little nervous for Nintendo. Yeah. And I mean, there are a lot of problems with the Switch, the way that it was designed the hard drive size, a lot of the network, uh, stuff. the you know, the network stuff, friendsless stuff, the visual fidelity stuff. It just doesn't look as good because of it's inherently it's inherent design. Yeah, but, but I, uh, I think the yeah. versatility of it um, uh, resonates with a lot of people. You know, yeah, people I agree. People want things that do a lot of different things. Um, yeah, they want the all in one stuff. And um, I also I forget what website it was, but they declared it uh, one of the top five selling. Um, technology items from 2017 hmm. is top five, oh, okay. just like tech items yeah. that sold period right. in terms of right. units shipped. So, or our units uh, sold. Um, cool. So yeah, that, that's awesome for them. I didn't realize the one Wii other thing. sold 4 million in the first 10 yeah. months. That's, that's yeah. crazy. I mean, that, that, that console sold like 
friggin' hot. Because it was, it was the holiday thing. Right. Everybody right. bought a Wii because everybody else was buying a Wii, and then it went on the fucking shelf. Yeah. After a month of playing Wii Sports, it went on the fucking shelf. Like, the software sales for that system were not good after the first couple of years. Right. And a lot of that's because of all the shovelware garbage that oh they God. allowed to be released, too. It's like but... looking at the Steam library, but on a GameStop yep. shelf. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, software sales were very disappointing for the Wii, considering the number of units sold. That has been very different for the Switch, yeah. I would imagine. Because people are a lot more engaged with that system. A lot, like, a fewer, like, casual families buying a Switch, I, I would imagine, than bought a Wii. Probably, yeah. Uh, something that might help their sales numbers in 2018, the pink and green Joy-Cons are coming to the U.S. <laughs> so these have been available in Japan. In the U.S., you can only get them as part of the Splatoon 2 bundle, but you can now buy them separately, which like is fun. I really like those colors. They're more exciting to me than the red and the, the blue. I still like the gray. That's the one I got, yeah. but... um. I would consider getting these like for Kelly because I think she would think the colors are cute too. But they're fucking eighty dollars. Yeah, of course they are. So no, <laughs> I'm not bought. No, like no, eighty dollars. Come on, man, it's absurd. It seems so weird that they're bringing these to the. I don't. It just. It seems weird that they didn't bring them in the first place, and now they are. I don't know. It yeah. seems odd, but cool. Um. So how about you tell me about the uncharted business yeah there's been a kind of a mass exodus from naughty dog the past couple years which is a little scary it is And there's another example of that um so sean sk has left naughty dog um he's was the creative director and writer there and he's been there since the beginning for lost legacy yes for lost legacy he was creative writer uh creative director and writer um but he's been at naughty dog since the beginning of Mm -hmm. the development cycle for the last of us Mm -hmm. um so he has departed naughty dog and on his Twitter, he posted the Avengers logo. So people think that he's probably joining Crystal Dynamics, who made the, the new Tomb Raider games, because um, they have an untitled Avengers game. So right. people think he's hopping over to help them out with their Avengers game. Which, I mean, yeah, I thought. Certainly wouldn't be surprising. Right. And, you know, I thought, like. I mean, Lost Legacy was directed and written very well. So, yes. <laughs> so uh, you know, if. We get someone of that pedigree or, you know, track record onto a kind of pop culture phenomenon title like an Avengers game. Um, I think that's probably a a good thing. I would hope. Maybe. Yeah. Hopefully. And, and, like, I would be more worried for Naughty Dog because, like, after Amy Hennig left, I was scared because she was, like, she produced and wrote the first three Uncharted games, which were all awesome. Yeah, like, very much the face of that. Yeah, and so when she left, I was nervous, but it's part of the reason she left is because Bruce Straley and Neil Druckmann, who directed The Last of Us, were taking over more. And so they directed Uncharted 4, which I also thought was phenomenal. It was maybe a slower game than I wanted out of Uncharted, especially in the early chapters. It was pretty slow, which seems to be their style. Like, they're a lot more about the characters and building and that that kind of thing. clear from The Last of Us. Yeah, exactly. And, like, that's fine. There's certainly a place for that. Uh, it's interesting now that the guy who took over for Lost Legacy, which initially was thought was going to be just a small piece of DLC, it seemed like, not that it was going to be bad, but it was a bit of a throwaway. Like, it's just, you know, add-on DLC for Uncharted 4. And it certainly was a lot more than that. I mean, it's one of my favorite games from last year. Uh, As long as Bruce and Neil are still at Naughty Dog, I'll feel good. If they leave, then it's like, who's left? Right. So, um, obviously... 
they're working on Last of Us Part Two right now. I would hope after that they start something new, which honestly could be a good opportunity for another new face to join the team. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how things shake out, but nothing but confidence for Neil Druckmann and Bruce Straley kind of leading uh, Naughty Dog team. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> and then, um, so there's some Connect news because I know everybody's talking about the Connect yeah. all the time. <laughs> Hot button issue. So basically, this came out, which kind of is the death knell of the Connect with the Xbox One. So previously, the Xbox One S did not have a port for the for a Connect connector. So anybody that bought an S and wanted to use a Connect had to buy an adapter, which was like forty bucks. And for folks that upgraded from an Xbox One to an Xbox One S, they got a free adapter. They're no longer selling that adapter. So basically, like the Xbox One S and the Xbox One X do not work with the Connect. So that's kind of them saying we're not going to be using the Connect anymore. Thank Can't say I'm surprised, um, but yeah, that's it. It just seems weird, man. Like it never caught on with the 360. And I, it seemed weird that they were going to try to do it again with the X or the Xbox One, rather. And just all the messaging around that system was so bad from the get go. Yeah. It just it was doomed from the start. So not surprised at all for that to happen. Um, we are potentially getting some Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle DLC in June. There was a leaked uh, Nintendo eShop post saying uh, June 30th release date. And so like they have they said that they're bringing DLC to that game. Um, this could be like a Japan release date or it could be a placeholder date, but that's kind of like what we have to go from right now. I was surprised to see that they're doing like story DLC for that game, Yeah. but I haven't, I mean, I have it, but I haven't played it yet. I never figured like the narrative would be the draw, but they are all juicing like a new character in this DLC, that sort of stuff. So that could be cool. I mean, if it does come out in June, I maybe won't have played Mario and Rabbids at that point. So I might be interested in some DLC, depending on how I feel about the game. Yeah, it's also just weird timing. Like, it's it's been a while. Yeah, yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so why don't you tell me about... Let's talk about the uh, Assassin's Creed thing first. Yeah, so um, Assassin's Creed has, like... It has a mode where you can kind of fly around and look at stuff um, that some classrooms have been using to uh, kind of showcase ancient Egyptian life. Kind of talked about this on the previous podcast, I believe. Um, but they're now adding a new mode that's like a um, could potentially it's a separate executable, so it could even potentially be sold separately to classrooms. But it's called mm-hmm. the Discovery Tour, um, and if you own Origins, it will be a free edition. Um, it's a new game option from the start menu. Uh, you can uh, take these various like historical tours um, based on a variety of like different aspects of life um during like the setting of the game so the way it is you pick between like one of 20 character models or something and you walk Mm -hmm. around the world you can hop on a horse you can fly um the eagle around to get like an eagle eye view and there are points of interest on the map labeled for you you can fast travel to them or walk there um or ride there rather and they have, like, actual guided with, like, glowing lights from point to point um, tours of areas with uh, voiceover commentary, like, fully narrated presentations, um, and, like, even, uh, like, pictures from, of, like, real uh, relics and stuff from existing Mm -hmm. museums and things will pop up alongside 
um, the things you're looking at in the game um, to like kind of show the difference between the modeled version and the real version. Um, mm. Yes, yeah, like fully narrated photos and images. It's really, really interesting. It's coming sometime. Yeah, it they said cool. early 2018. Um, so it seems like they're really embracing the uh, the accuracy of the historical setting that they've crafted. Yeah, and the like the, the education side. Right, that's cool, which is really neat. Uh, I, I like any time a game tries to serve a purpose other than entertainment. I think is really interesting, um, especially yeah. in education. Yeah, like there are you know. Uh, geometry classes that have used minecraft and right uh, you know um uh, problem solving uh, sections sometimes they've i've seen people say like oh we played portal in class today like working <laughs> on problem solving like portal mm-hmm. 2 co-op problem solving kind of stuff so it's, it's just really interesting when games can serve an entertainment purpose uh and an entertainment and an education purpose uh, and so this is like a, a really neat kind of feather in the cap of the folks over at uh, Ubisoft um, on this one. I think it's kind of a, a, neat, a neat thing. Yeah. And then um, finally, so this this is very interesting. So I saw the story the other day about ga- uh, there was a basically gaming disorder became an official disorder that you could like file for uh, for like government reimbursements and for medication and that sort of thing. And so the ESA has come back and pushed back against this. And so I hadn't seen this specific story. So Kyle, you're the one that found this. So I guess like, do you have a little more context for like the origins of this? Yeah, a, a little bit. So like basically the world health organization, like out of the blue decided to add to their, um, ICD 11 filing, um, which is uh, the internet uh, internal classification of disease filing, um, which basically classifi- in yeah it's it's basically ha- like it's a list of all of the classifications of disorders that people can file for for right. well, like, and diseases yeah, and, and injuries diseases. and everything yeah, yeah. Um, and so they added a gaming disorder classification to right. it um, that people have been talking about that a bit online and kind of like you know, what are the what are the potential scenarios if this were were to actually be approved and go through in their final version um, of the ICD-11? Um, so the ESA, the Entertainment Software Association, you know, the people who lord over, like, all entertainment software, uh, like, all right. games, um, some, I believe, film, and I believe s- they have their fingers and toes in some film and television stuff, too, I think. Um, I don't know, but it's possible. But they uh, they released a statement that said they believe that the draft classifying gaming addiction as a diagnosable disorder recklessly trivializes real mental health issues, which they're yeah. not incorrect. Um, right. Uh, but yeah, so the initial draft uh, had the had the gaming addiction uh, classification on it, but the official release of that is not due until mid twenty eighteen. So there is mm-hmm. still time for them to take it off and make adjustments to it. Um, yeah. It, I, I was really surprised when I initially saw that they were adding this, like gaming addiction effectively. Right. And I was just like, it just seems odd to me that that can be considered an actual disorder. I know that a lot of people are more prone to addiction than others, but I don't know. It just, I don't know. It, that seemed weird to me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering addiction. if under their gaming disorder, they include gambling um yeah i mean it's possible but uh, this seemed fairly 
literally tied to video games. Yeah, it, that seemed like the direction, but I don't know how wide the umbrella it casts right. is, um, or the umbrella it operates under is. So I, I don't, I don't know more specifics beyond that information. It's just like a really weird. It's one of those things that pops up in your news feed one day, and you're like, right. of course some stupid shit like this would happen, because <laughs> why wouldn't it? Yeah, that's kind of how I felt about some it, Some dude in a suit somewhere, some fat guy eating a hoagie, he's like, well, video games are stupid. Yeah. I don't know. It, it seems, and granted, it's the World Health Organization. Like, they understand healthcare, but it feels like people that don't get it. Right. And it's, it is really easy from kind of an inside this video game community perspective to look at people that are outside of it and say like, you don't get this. You don't get our thing. Especially when a lot of the evidence has come out from the government and politicians and people outside, even like friends and family outside of this community, they don't fucking get it. They don't get video games. Right. And so it's easy to look at this scenario and say like, oh, well they just don't get it. But maybe there's more to meets the eye here. Because basically Uh, what they're saying is like, you could declare this on your like, yeah, like you could file for a disability based yes. off of this, which yes. that's bad for everyone. I agree. Um, I agree. It, like so, yeah. It, it's it, it's bad because people will take advantage of it, so it's a waste of tax dollars, and it's bad because it casts a negative stigma about the gaming community. Um, right. It's it's bad in both ways. So I don't. It's, right. That's yeah, stupid. Stupid stuff. I, I hope they take it off. <laughs> So uh, before we get to hate of the week and kind of wrapping this thing up, so I mean I've talked a lot about how I have way too many video games I still need to play before I can do my game of the year kind of thing, and uh, I'm still trying to get that out next month. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I have too many games to play. But um, Kyle, we, you and I have talked a little bit, and I know you like feel good about the stuff you've played this year and your top games. So I kind of wanted to give you an opportunity to walk through your like top ten list and tell everybody a little bit why you feel the way you feel about particular stuff. And especially because, like, there are a lot of... When I look at your list, there are a lot of games that are surprising, not because of your tastes, because I think they line up with your tastes, but, like, looking at the industry and the awards that tend to go out in the industry, I think you have a very interesting list. So I'm curious to hear you talk about it. Yeah, and so, like, you know, I think the the difference is, this is my list, yeah, and, absolutely. Like, I'm not trying to put together a game of the year list for the industry. Right. Right. So, like, I don't look at things in terms uh, – on my list, I'm not looking at things in terms of how it impacts, and impacts the gaming community or, right. you know, people outside of the gaming community. I'm looking at how it impacts me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I played – it was something like 50 to 60 games or something this year. Um I don't think very many of them. I mean, there are a couple games on here that I don't think should really be in a top ten list. Yeah, you don't but, feel super strong, but. right? I don't feel super strongly about um, maybe the top three or the the rather the bottom three. Um, so I'll start from number ten and work my way up. So number ten is Persona Five. I know I just spent a bunch of time complaining about it, <laughs> um, but like there are still elements that I really enjoy. Yeah, and I'm I put it on here because I've heard that it gets better the later you go, and I'm holding on to that hope. Okay, uh, so that's my number ten slot. Number nine is I Expect You to Die. It's a VR game. I've talked I talked about it last episode because they mm-hmm. added the new. Um, uh, they added that uh, the new mission, which that's what kind of prompted me to. Uh, think about it in more of a game of the year 
sensibility. And it's mm-hmm. it's another one of those like virtual reality job simulator, you know, mm-hmm. the kind of you are set in place and you're interacting with the things within your reach, but it it has some action, like there's some shooting and stuff. The puzzles are really well designed and I feel I always felt really smart having solved them and okay. it makes you feel like a secret agent. Like there's a fedora <laughs> in every level that you can pick right. up and put on your head and then you just have like the brim of the fedora in the top mm. view mm-hmm. the whole time. And like there's a cigar you put in your mouth and you pu- you puff on the cigar every now and then. Um, it's it's full of like it's just it's a lot of fun and it makes you feel good about what you're doing. And it's a great example of um, how in VR, even something simple like solving a puzzle, doing it like physically doing it like reaching through a, a three dimensional space and doing the actions. Even if it's like unplugging something and plugging something back in, it's still like the novelty has not worn off. Um, sure. So it's just a reminder of that. Um, so that's my number nine. My number eight is What Remains of Edith Finch. We already talked about that today. Mm-hmm. Um, again, those those three games I just said I don't feel super strongly about. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to kind of give them their credit where I thought it was due just because I don't feel strongly about – I feel less strongly about all of the other games I played this year. Yeah, I mean, at least with those three, it sounds like there are elements of them that you did really, really enjoy. Yeah. Even if the whole experience was maybe a little underwhelming. Right. You know, like I said, in Persona, like the other world, the combat stuff, like that whole crafting of, of that area is really fascinating. And maybe it would be less fascinating or surprising if I played another Persona game. Sure. Because I'm sure they're just doing the same thing they've done before. But, like, this is my first foray into it, and it, the yeah. game drips with style. So I think it deserves to be recognized for that. Um, my number seven slot is super hot VR because like that was my first big VR experience. And Mm -hmm. that's still probably my favorite VR experience I've had. Just like that, like feeling like you're in the matrix, feeling like you're that action star, like you're invincible. It's pretty awesome. It's phenomenal. Um, number six is get even. I talked about that on the last episode. Um, the, PC kind of uh, B tier independently developed game published by Bando Namkai. Um, it had a lot of surprising elephants. Uh, elephants. <laughs> <laughs> Shocker. The big twist. The big elephant. That in the is room. a pretty. There's literally. Uh, an that is a big twist, literally and figuratively. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the, uh, the different elements of the story and, and uh, how it kind of spans a couple different game genres and subverts your expectations in really clever ways. Um, number five is Prey, because it's the mm-hmm. best Bioshock game since the first Bioshock. <laughs> Even, Even better than Infinite? Yeah. I mean, I don't think Infinite's a good Bioshock game. I think it's a fun game, but I don't All think right. it's necessarily a good Bioshock game. Um, and I really, I thought Bioshock 2 was too much of the same uh, right. from the first game. But, like, in terms of environmental storytelling and, you know, moving about this station at your own pace, um, just the sense of discovery was, um, it's, it's all about, it's all about the minutia in the, in the details. Uh, mm-hmm. and every room felt like someone had lived there. Um, every, every square inch of that game felt real, which is a weird thing to say about 
a game set on a futuristic space station with aliens <laughs> and horrible nightmare monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, you know, I played on PC. I didn't play on console, so I didn't have any of the control issues that I know some people did initially. That's what I'm worried about. Um, I I've heard they patched a lot of that stuff and have yeah. fixed uh, some of that. Um, coming in at number four is Uncharted The Lost Legacy. Because I thought... I mean, I knew I was up for another Uncharted game, but I didn't know that the formula could work so well without Nathan Drake. Sure. Uh, so that was a big surprise to me. Um, and I, I thought... You know, the the big driving around segment, the exploration segment, it's kind of a bold move for them, and oh, it kind of it changes up a lot of like the um, the moment to moment gameplay that you come to expect from an Uncharted game, and it's such a good vehicle for those conversations, those little uh, character development moments of the, uh, the the developing relationship between um, Chloe and Nadine, um, and also like um, Sam popping in was like sure. a really nice surprise yeah um, i was not expecting him to be in it and you know, i thought the, uh, the villain in this one is probably the best villain the most well yeah like pretty pretty well developed yeah surprisingly yeah yeah um because they've all felt pretty one note before right. but he seems to have some more legitimate motivations and it felt like they were less lazy when they wrote him um, it, i feel like it says a lot about I mean, it says a lot about the games I played last year as well as how strong this year was in games. Because I look at, like, Uncharted 4 was my game of the year last year. I look at Lost Legacy, and I maybe like it more than Uncharted 4. Yeah, maybe. But it won't, it, it won't be my game of the year this year. It'll be somewhere around the range that you're in, like 3 yeah. to 5. Yeah. Which it says a lot for how strong this year was in terms of video games, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Uh, number three is Wolfenstein New Colossus. Um, that game, I think, oh, like, good lord. I, the things it does for linear first-person shooter campaigns in terms of the bar it sets for character development, mm. um, storytelling, uh, crafting an interesting environment, I think, like, it, it's insane. And, you know, they... It feels great to play. It has some of the best weapons um, yeah. in a first-person shooter I've ever played. Like, the shotgun in that game is so good. The shotgun's... Oh, oh, man. Um, I've heard <laughs> a lot... It certainly sounds like it brings the insanity yeah. to the spectacle. Oh, yeah. And, like, there, there are <laughs> moments in that game I will never forget. I will yeah. never forget moments that I experienced in that game because it is so wildly insane. Um and I've heard a lot of complaints about the stealth. Because, uh, you know, they say, oh, you can play it stealth or you can shoot your way through. Right. Um, I played most of the game stealth. Like, people are... They're, they're saying... Uh, I hear a lot of talk online about, oh, the stealth in this one is really, like, you kill a couple guys. Like, you basically... You whittle down the enemies, but eventually you're going to get spotted. Like, there's no way to get mm-hmm. through areas. I didn't feel that at all. I, I mm. was stealthing my way mostly through the game. Unless, like, I was in an area where I wanted to... Mm-hmm. Uh, where I didn't want to stealth. And, like, there were segments where, like, the music picked up, and I could tell, like, I was supposed to run through this area, mm. pull out the shotguns, and have a good time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think, like, a-, a lot of that game, it was structured in a surprising way that I was not expecting. Um, 
and I didn't see any of the story beats coming. Holy crap. There's no, <laughs> no way anyone could predict anything that happens in that game. Sure. Um, number two is Resident Evil 7. Um, like, I, I, I'm not one of the people who thinks Resident Evil... Well, okay. Resident Evil has lost its way, but I, I think people have very negative things to say about 5 and 6. I think 5 and 6 are not good Resident Evil games. I think 5 is a one of the best co-op games of all time, and I think 6 is a good fan service game, but maybe it doesn't feel okay. that great in the way it controls. Like, having the three different campaigns in 6 was awesome. It made mm -hmm. me feel like I was getting a lot of bang for my buck, and I got... Mm -hmm. it, it felt like there was something there for everyone um, mm -hmm. with that, but it also carried a lot of, like, the over-the-top, less horror-focused, action-focused sure. um, elements of 5, um, which kind of... It st kind of started leaning that direction with 4, but 4 is... My probably my favorite game of all time. Um, right. And Resident Evil 7 felt like such a return to the formula. And then as the, like, the beginning half of the game was terrifying. And it mm -hmm. was, like, incredibly well-crafted. Um, the mysteries they set up are, uh, are well-developed and you get satisfying answers to them. And then the second half of the game feels more in line with the action. So again, I feel like there's probably something there for everyone. I thought the game mm. maybe moved too slow because mm -hmm. they also developed it for PSVR. And okay. I think they let that affect the pacing of the 2D version of the game. Right. Um, so that's probably my biggest knock against it. All of the DLC was awesome. I love. Well, it I sounds varied too. Yeah, I mean, you oh, talked totally. about that last episode too. Like there was more actiony stuff and more character focused stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, and like the initial DLC they had, like the the lost episodes or whatever it was called, um, they're like puzzle solving mm -hmm. and you know other stuff like that. So like all of the DLC felt very separate and like like distinct experiences that helped flesh out that main game in kind of meaningful ways. Mm -hmm. um, so that's definitely my number two because it was really, really freaking good. And then my number one is Evil Within 2 um, because, in my mind, Shinji Mikami can do no wrong. And, like, <laughs> his games are the only games that as soon as I beat them, I want to immediately start them again. Like, sure. the like I these other games, like, I beat them and I'm done. I walk away. Maybe I come back to them in a year, two years, three years. Like, Shinji Mikami games, Resident Evil 4, Evil Within 1 and 2. Like, as soon as I beat them, I want to play them again immediately. Um, there's no well, other game uh, like them. And I think it makes sense that they're coming from him, too, because having not played Evil Within 1 or 2, they felt like more of a logical progression from the Resident Evil series than 5, 6, and now 7 have. Right. Like, 5 and 6, like you said, felt more action-y, and now 7 is more returning to its horror roots, but it seems like a very different kind of game than yeah. traditional Resident Evil. Evil Within series feels like what you would expect from the guy who did Resident Evil. Right. So I think I think it totally makes sense that you would like those games a lot. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely my number one slot. I think, like, yeah. the things it does to elevate itself over the first game are incredibly intelligent. Um, the... Uh, the world design is I mean I'm not going to come out and say that it's the best looking game in the world because there are definitely sure. parts of that game that don't look good um, <laughs> but in terms of the design of the world it's 
um, it, incredible. And it does a lot of really mind-bending stuff. And, like, the enemy design, upgrading your weapons. Like, I've I've grown kind of lazy when I play games lately. <laughs> like, I kind of blow through stuff. Um, and in Evil, like, Resident Evil 4, Evil Within 1, Evil Within 2, I scour every last square inch of mm. every environment looking for mm-hmm. things. And um, they... they I always, like, they somehow always strike a balance with me of, like, I feel prepared, but not invincible. Mm. Like, I always feel like I have enough to handle the situation, but I know one misstep and it's all, it's all gone. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's always that tightrope that I'm walking in those games. Um, Like Resident Evil 4, you know, I, I booted it up like a week and a half ago. On PC, I started on professional. I can't even tell you how many times I played that game. It's got to be like <laughs> over thirty. Um, right. And I booted it up on professional, and I got my ass handed to me in the first village. Like that doesn't happen to me anymore. But mm. like I made a stupid decision, and I missed a couple shots, and I walked too far away from the gate, so the guy spawned behind me, and that really screwed me over. Like I just I made some missteps, and it all went wrong. Um, <laughs> but I was able to get out of it. I still recovered. Um, and that's what feels good about these games is like, I know I can recover from what goes wrong if I'm good enough. And I always feel like yeah. the game makes me feel like I'm good enough. Right, so right. that's my so top 10 games of the year. Um, I know I, I don't look I don't, for my top 10 in six months. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like, I haven't played every game. Um, right. Of course. And you know, again, I want to reiterate, this is not, emblematic of what anyone else's list should look like this is just for yeah, me. yeah it's your list it should only be your list yeah i just think it, i i only brought that up in the beginning because i i thought it was interesting how different your list looks from like if you look at the big sites like ign or GameSpot or game informer or giant bomb a lot of those lists look fairly similar yeah. with some like movement here and yours like there's a lot of stuff on there that you would find on other folks lists that are not on yours i just found that interesting yeah i will say it sounds like you need to play mario odyssey and south park to knock off some of those bottom feeders yeah off of i know top 10. i know <laughs> I, I feel like i feel like south park would have a slot on here if i'd played it right um and I'm surprised you didn't get more out of Zelda to, to put it on here. I just I know I know I, you didn't put I, that much time into it, but I keep not going back to it. And like, yeah. so listening to Giant Bomb's Game of the Year deliberations and ta- them talking about Zelda has made me want to go back and spend more time with it. So again, maybe that would affect it. But right. like, I kind of put that thing to rest, and I'm I I was done with it until they started talking about it again. Like, I would not have I, gone I feel- back and ever played it ever again. I feel a little bit the same. Like, I know I want to put more time into it because there's a lot of it that I do like. I love the exploration side. And I mean, I enjoy most of the combat. I mean, my frustrations have been well documented with I just got my ass kicked all the time and get killed, get killed with one hit by every enemy. And so something must be wrong. But hearing them talk about it and all the cool stuff that you see, like, later in the game and exploring, I'm like, I want to go see that. I want to go do that. So I will keep putting more time into it. It feels like how you describe some of your bottom games where it slides on there because there are so many things about it that I do love, despite there also being a lot of things that I really don't like. So I'm not sure how, how Zelda feels on my list right now. It's with the game. I have the most problem comparing to others because of that. Um, 
So we'll see what happens. I still have a lot of games that I want to play before I'll feel good about having a top 10. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, I guess looking ahead to 2018, which we should have said at the top, like this is the first episode of 2018. So welcome to the new year. (laughs) New year, new Shea Hates Everything podcast. Not. (laughs) Same shit, different day. Good shit. That's what it is. Uh, But we do like very briefly since we're already running long look ahead at what's coming out in 2018 because you look back at like the games that came out in 2017 how many fucking heavy hitters there were yeah i'm curious to see how 2018 shakes out because i gotta say right now there are a lot of games with that generic 2018 release date that probably won't hit this year and there's always the chance that there are one or two big games that we don't even know exist yet that will come out but looking at the games that are coming out in the first half of the year that have those defined release dates, I look at it and I'm kind of like, ooh, there's not like a whole lot that I want to play, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so I made like a brief list here, and Kyle, I don't know. How, I, there might be some of these that you're more excited for than me, but the biggest one that stood out was God of War, obviously. comes out in March. That's definitely my most anticipated game in terms of games I know we're going to hit this year. Uh, we also have A Way Out coming uh, next month, which looks like a cool co-op experience. Yeah. Far Cry 5 comes out, I think, in March, which I know you're more excited for than I am. Yeah, um, I, I've seen some early gameplay stuff, and I'm kind of like, eh, I'm maybe tempering my expectations It just seems like more of the same more. to me. Yeah. I don't know. And and I still, like, I played two hours of Far Cry 4 and just never went back to it, and I still have it. It's still on my list of games that I want to play. So I'm not, like, I'm not burnt out on Far Cry because I haven't really been playing it, but it also has never grabbed me the way it three and four seem to grab other people. So I don't know my, I'm not like, I'm not playing. I'm buying it right now, I guess is the best way to say it. But it is one of those where like, if it comes out and people are raving about it, I'll check it out. We have the shadow of Colossus PS4 HD remaster, which I didn't really care about until recently. So I loved the game when it came out on PS2. I played the remaster on PS3 for a bit and was like, you know what? This game has not aged very well. It was certainly a, of a time and of a place. I still consider it, you know, one of the best games ever made in that sense. It just has not aged well. Uh, the camera especially is really awful. But looking at what they've done graphically to the PS4 version, it looks like a completely new game. So it is one of those where I might want to check it out. Yeah. Just because it's so gorgeous, and I remember loving those boss battles, and just such a dark and like somber world and story. I I might want to relive that. Yeah, I, I I felt so when I was playing through Zelda, I kind of felt like they were trying to evoke some of the same tone and feelings okay. that Shadow of the Colossus did so perfectly. Okay, but they didn't necessarily do it all that well in Zelda. Yeah. I didn't think, and so. A lot of people, they you know, they're talking about how great the world design is in Zelda, how beautiful it is. And I'm not going to say it doesn't look good, but I don't think it. I, I feel like it's very like it's a, it's kind of it's a mixed bag. I think in mm. Zelda a lot, but yeah. Anyways, the age old criticism. It's a bit of a mixed bag. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Bayonetta 1 and 2 are coming out. Uh, we talked about this last episode that uh, they're bringing it to Switch. So I'll be picking that up. Yeah. I'm not going to prioritize it just because I'm don't. i not typically a fan of those third-person action games. But uh, just after hearing all, all the crazy shit that happens in those, I kind of want to see it for myself. Yeah, me too. Um, we Happy Few is coming to PS4. This is a game that I've been looking forward to for like a couple years at this point. So they had the like 
early release PC edition and then the 1.0 on PC. And I heard kind of mixed things about it in terms of the procedurally generated stuff. But I just love, again, talking about Prey as being like a successor to Bioshock. This felt similar to me, like a spiritual successor to Bioshock in terms of like the world and the narrative. Um, so I really want to check it out when it comes to PS4. You do you play you played it on PSC, PC? Didn't yeah, you? I played the early version of it. Yeah, um, it was rife with bugs and the balancing That's was really bad. bad. Um, and like the generation was just playing up broken in certain spots. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of I shelved it. Um, so Presumably that see. stuff would be fixed. <laughs> Hopefully, I, I would release. I would hope so. Yeah. Uh, and then we have Sea of Thieves coming to Xbox One. So obviously, I can't play this. I don't own an Xbox, but it felt worthy of making the list. It, to me, is like the standout Xbox game coming out this year. Yeah. Um, looks awesome. We talked about it last episode. Some of your buddies have been playing it in the closed alpha, closed beta. But uh seems yeah. super fun. I wish that I could play it. Uh, I'm not at the point where I want to drop 250 bucks on an Xbox to play it, though. We also have Nino Kuni 2 coming out. It was pushed back to March recently. Still haven't played the first one, but um, I would want to. And this looks great, but it's hard to play the second game when you haven't played the first when right. there are so many carryovers. And then finally, in terms of like the harsh release dates, Monster Hunter World is coming out. So this, when they announced it, I was like, who gives a shit? It's Monster Hunter. I mean, the people that like it, good for them, but I have no interest. Right. But seeing everybody talking about it and how it kind of changes up the Monster Hunter formula and makes it a little bit more digestible, along with like the open world elements, I'm kind of more interested in it. Yeah, uh, I'm tentatively. Because like, yeah. I played that 3DS one and right. I bounced off pretty hard. So. Yeah, and like looking at the gameplay, I'm still not wowed. Right. But just it's more hearing people talk about it and kind of the emergent stuff and just how fun it is to play with other people. That all sounds awesome. But when I watch video, like when I hear people talk about it, I get excited. And then I go watch a video and then I'm like, ah, maybe not. Right. So I don't know. I'm kind of in between. Um, and then there's the whole list of games that are supposed to come out in 2018 that may or may not, but that we don't have release dates for. So we already talked about Anthem a bit. I wouldn't be surprised to see that announced for fall 2018 and then pushed back to 2019. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I like hope for the best, expect the worst from that game at this point. Um, Darksiders 3, which we've also talked about, looks really cool. Um, Dreams. Uh, Media what, Molecule. Uh, thank you. Media Molecule's new game looks really cool. Jurassic World Evolution, which I think we've talked about, looks like a fun city builder, but set in Jurassic Park. Like, that's just like, I didn't yep. know I wanted that oh, until yeah. it was announced, and now I'm super excited for it. Faye, which is kind of an under-the-radar game. It's more of an indie game. It reminds me a lot, visually, of Ori and the Blind Forest. A lot of, like, darkness mixed with color, where the gameplay seems to be around a lot of, like, sound and sights kind of thing. And you use, like, singing and voice pinging and that kind of thing to solve puzzles. It just looks like a really gorgeous kind of indie uh, action platformer sort of game. I'm, I'm very interested in that. Metro Exodus is, is supposedly coming out in the fall this year. Oh, God, I hope uh, so. I actually... I. Uh, the PS4 sale is still happening, and the other day I got the Metro Redux, so I got 2033 and Last Light, both of which I've played last generation, but I got them both for like $9, and I was like, hell yeah, I'll do that. So nice. I, I will probably want to play through those again before Exodus comes out. Spider-Man supposedly is coming out this year. I would think that that's going to be a fall game, hopefully if it does. I'm, I know I'm more excited about it than you. 
in terms of the gameplay. I just have a lot of faith in Insomniac and the way that they put gameplay systems together and kind of their witty writing style, I think, is a really good marriage for Spider-Man. Red Dead 2. A lot of people are saying it's going to come out this year. Oh, that'd be great. Oh, man. I, I don't. I don't. Like, and it's completely selfish, but I hope it doesn't just because I still haven't played the first game and I would want to. And there's too much, too many other backlog games that I need to play this year, which I know I won't because I say this every year. So I can't play Red Dead 2 until I play the first one. So like selfishly, I don't want it to come out until I have played the first one. They have an Xbox. It looks awesome. They have an Xbox one version of Red Dead, the first one. It's like a, it's not. I don't think it's remastered at all, but like you can buy it's it like on upscaled. the Xbox One. Yeah. yeah, I have it on PS3, so I could okay. play it if I wanted to. Okay, I just never do. Right. Uh, one that I'm really looking forward to is season two for The Wolf Among Us. Yeah. So that is, aside from the first season of Walking Dead, Wolf Among Us season one is probably my favorite thing that Telltale has done. So I'm really pumped to see a season two. I'm curious to see where they kind of take the story. I will say that due to recent Telltale games, how they rushed them out and the writing has not been as strong in recent entries, my expectations are a little tempered just because of that. But um, I'm hoping that they can continue it in a cool way. Yeah, um, that's the one I never played, but I had watched a, mm-hmm. a Let's Play of it like forever ago when it initially released. Um, you probably should have watched my Let's Play. On my YouTube channel, Mighty Manotor 22. That might have been the one I watched. <laughs> uh, we're getting Vampire, which is the new game from Don't Nod, makers of Life is Strange Season 1. Yeah. So they're also working on Season 2, and then obviously a different studio, Deck 9, did the Life is Strange Before the Storm miniseries. But this is their new game that they're working on. It's set in, like, you know, sort of Renaissance era, not Renaissance, but uh, colonization era times. And it's about vampires and finding a cure. You play a guy who's a vampire, and it looks interesting. It's like a mixture of, like, there's combat, obviously, and some light RPG mechanics, but also sort of, like, adventure game kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, a lot of conversations and small puzzle solving. It just looks like an interesting game. I really like the concept. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yoshi, we talked about. It's a new Nintendo game that's supposed to come out this year. It's kind of their big release this year. Uh, it has some co-op. It has that cutesy sort of cardboard style, like from um, Yoshi's Woolly World. Woolly World, thank you. And Kirby's Epic Yarn, like that kind of shtick that they do. Yeah, but cardboard. And also, right. But you can do like, you can change the perspective from, it's like, it's a 2D plane, but there are multiple 2D planes. It's like, it's sort of like Little Big Planet. Yeah kind of yeah. thing where the like there are multiple levels on the 2d plane so that seems interesting um i don't know i've never been a huge yoshi game person but just because i own a switch and i'm gonna want stuff to play on the switch i'll probably get this assuming it comes out this year yeah i'm sure i would too um, and then um two that are <laughs> i don't think will come out this year but some people think they will so there's the final fantasy 7 remake which supposedly the first episode might come out. Yeah, they kind of teased. They were like, it's going to yeah. be a big year for Final Fantasy fans. Right, uh. right. We talked about that a while ago, saying 2018 would be a big year for Final Fantasy fans. So there's a chance that the first episode comes out. I don't see it happening with as early as that game is. The one I would say maybe has a more of a chance from Square Enix is Kingdom Hearts 3. So I I, I did a list of like my most, <clears throat> excuse me, my most anticipated games of 2018. It's on shadeseverything.com. I had... Um, 
a lot of these games that like maybe won't come out this year. Kingdom Hearts 3 was not included just because I don't think it will come out this year. But I don't know. Obviously, I would love for it to. Um, we'll see what happens. And then there's a release for a particular game that you have played <laughs> just a little bit of in your time. Yeah, 500 hours. Uh, Unturned 4.0. It's supposed to come out this year. Um, they just released a new map, Greece, and they're adding content to it throughout this month. Um, hmm. Like, because there are like NPC quests and stuff, but they don't have all the quests in place yet. They're still adding to them, which mm-hmm. I don't know why they released the map if it's not finished, but whatever. Um, maybe they just wanted to get it in time for the holidays. Um, so yeah, that Unturned 4.0, and they're supposed to finish the Greek map, and yeah, you know, all that stuff. So that's supposed to happen this Your year. Your most anticipated release of 2018. Oh yeah, 4.0 <laughs> Unturned. I'm excited to pump awesome. another 500 hours into it. Right. So I mean, like looking at that list, there's certainly a lot more games that might come out in 2018 that I would be excited about than games that have been officially confirmed. But it is also January. Like games like May and beyond don't really have firm release dates at this point. So obviously that's taking out all those big holiday releases in October, November, December. There's a good chance that at least a large portion of the games I just listed will come out this year, but it's it's hard to like get super excited until you know something's going to come out. You know? Right, until it's in your hands. Yeah, that's for sure. So I guess with that, we will move on to Hate of the Week. Hate of the Week. So this one, I don't know. I I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about it. It's honestly, after last episode not having a Hate of the Week, I kind of liked because it did like I didn't have like a an emotional rant about something, but it's the shtick. I know like there are things that I still feel passionate about, but without like don't need to spend a ton of time on this. But today's hate of the week is just the news in general, and a lot of this can be cycled back to the twenty four hour news cycle. So whether you're watching political news, local sports, finance, this notion of you have a million news networks that need stories to fill up literally twenty four hours every single day. That comes to like stretching things out, making things bigger than they are, flat out making up stories as you go. Like, I just feel like is really degrading what news is about, which is keep, keeping people informed on the most important things that are affecting their lives. And I feel like news stations really drop the ball on that. Big time. Because they have to fill up all that time. And so it's a bunch of these like, you know, puff pieces are fine. Some like feel good stories. All that's fine. But like the negative stuff, it's like they're making mountains out of molehills and making you scared so that you watch and not delivering on that. Because long story about this, but news stations didn't used to be privatized. When news first entered television, it was governmentally funded. And so it only existed to bring you the stuff that was important. Now, it's all privatized, so they're just like any other television show on any other network, they get most of their money from advertising. And so that's where you get all these, like Mike Birbiglia has a really great bit because he's addicted to the news. And so he likes to try to compete to figure out if he can figure out the news story. So he'll see like, you know, the little stingers they leave on the news to get you to stick around through the commercials of like, do you know what's in your broth? And he's like, oh shit, I don't know. What's in my broth? Is it bad? Like what's in my, <laughs> I thought it was like just regular broth. What is it? And they come back. It's like, it's broth. He's like, ah, I should have known broth is broth. Duh, that makes sense. Like, that's what the news is. They try to hook you in, and then they don't deliver on the shit that actually matters. They scare you into watching for stuff that you don't need to be scared about. 
So that's the TV news. Then there's the online publications, the print publications, especially print, which is dying. Yeah. And so a lot of this is transferring to online news, and it's the way that people consume media online. And that we talked about this before, just this feeling of like, I read it online, therefore it is fact. And so people take that. And it's like, I don't know how stupid you have to be to actually think that way, but apparently there are millions of people that are that stupid. Because people will post like, here's an article I read on the Huffington Post about why X and Y. And I'm like, dude, the Huffington Post literally is not a news outlet. It is a blog. It is a blog. Yeah. Are they going to bring you facts? Sure, but most of that is filtered through an editorial biased lens. That is on purpose. It is by design. That is what they wanted to do. It's like getting your news from BuzzFeed or, frankly, from SheHatesEverything.com. <laughs> like, it's it's not a news source. Right. It's a blog. And they, yet people still cite that as, like, I read this thing, therefore it is true. It is fact. So, I'm constantly looking because... For a while, I just tried to turn a blind eye because a lot of this stuff doesn't fucking affect me. All it does is negative, negatively impact my mood on a daily basis to read about the shit going on that doesn't really impact my life. And I was like struggling because I'm like, yes, it doesn't really impact my life, but isn't it better to still know what's happening in the world, to know what's happening with the government? And so I'm trying to find these sources where I can get filtered relatively unbiased news and so my wife has subscribed for a while to the skim which is an email newsletter basically and so it's a short thing where they try to make it more digestible so i subscribe to that and i read it every morning at work it's definitely written for women like it it's very millennial female in the way that it's written which like annoys me because that's i'm not a millennial female I'm not like an 18-year-old girl, but uh, like in terms of getting the information, I still felt like it was valuable. But recently, just the bias is coming through and like, I don't know, man, it's not, without going into the political side, like it's not like I'm a Trump supporter, but I don't need to read six articles where you make fun of something stupid Trump said. Yeah. That, that doesn't mean anything. Like he didn't do anything bad or evil or something to fuck us up. He just said something stupid. And you need to write a whole article about that? Who fucking cares? Right. And I felt the same way when Fox News did it when Obama was in office. I felt the same way when they did it when George Bush was in office. Yeah. It's just like undermining the leadership of our country for literally no reason. And it just makes us have less faith in our government. Like he's still a human being. And again, I'm not trying to defend his politics because what a fucking idiot that guy seems <laughs> to be. But like it's it's needless. There are so many other more important things that are happening that are fucked up. Like this net neutrality business, all the mass shootings happening across the world, natural disasters, the way the economy is moving in China and like all like and then on the positive side, like a lot of the cool stuff that's happening in technology, all the like things with Bitcoin and how fascinating that is. And yet, no, we need to say something fucking stupid Trump said in an email six months ago. Like that's what we need to be talking about. So I fucking unsubscribe from the skin and I'm fucking done. I'm back to just I'm back to just putting my hands over my ears. And I hate that attitude, but until I can get a fucking news source that gives me news that matters, I don't want to deal with it anymore. <laughs> You're nodding your head. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great for an audio format. <laughs> I was waiting for you to add yeah. something and you're just kind of like writers over mm. at the skin making fun of Trump. Sad. Yes. Yeah. 
So that's where I am with the news. It's the fucking worst. Yeah. It sucks. Was well, made by people. It so is of valuable. It's, the worst. it's important to know this shit, and yet they have to g- deliver it in a way that is their personal opinion on something, which isn't what I fucking want. It's so frustrating. And I go back to several episodes ago. I had started watching The Newsroom, and I quit watching it because I hated it because it was terrible. But that was the whole thing of, like, that news show, it was the dude, Jeff Daniels. And he was like, my thing is I want to give my take on what's happening. And if that's what you want to do, fine. Say that up front. But do not present yourself as a news source then because you are not delivering news. You are delivering your opinion on things that happen. That is not news, that is not fact. Right. Period. And I'm sick of people blurring that line. Cuz we just eat it up. We just fucking eat it up and believe everything we read and everything we see unless it challenges our viewpoint. If I read something online that confirms a suspicion then it's a fact this is true this happened but if i read something online that threatens my fragile little worldview the way that i think things should be if i read something that challenges that well then no then it's bullshit and like that no you cannot have it both ways you cannot have it both ways uh if you're listening shay has become self-aware so this is the last episode of the shay <laughs> everything podcast uh, <laughs> we, need, mm, we need to shut so this annoying. down now Code blue. Man, it's... Just before this, I was like... Pondering maybe getting rid of the hate of the week segment. Because it just frustrates me. And there's nothing (laughs) I can do about this. There's nothing I can do about it. Well, it wouldn't be the hate of the week otherwise. Otherwise, you'd just be solving it. That's right. It would no longer be the Shea Hits Everything podcast. So I will continue to fight the good fight. And bring you guys the biggest bullshit every episode. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, now let's end with some positivity, yes, as we always please. do. So I will say today, despite everything and my frustrations and uh, lack of time to accomplish the things that I want, today I do not hate video games. There are so many fucking great games out there. I am blessed to have enough finances and time to play as many of them as I do. And I'm very thankful for video games today. Some would say it's the best time to be playing video games. Some would say that, yes. <laughs> Uh, and my name is Kyle, and today I don't hate when new people try theater for the first time. Yeah, like man. More than half of my cast members for the show had never done theater before, and mm-hmm. like seeing them like deep dive into it, get really into it, and come out the other end with like really positive experiences. That's good shit right there. Yeah. And you're facilitating that. Yeah. Like, the kind of show that you did, it's, like, less about people auditioning and getting specific roles and then folks are left out. Like, if they want to participate, they can. And you'll make it happen and you'll help them do the best job possible. But I think that that's, you know, especially for high schoolers that are figuring out what they want to do with their lives and who they are as people. Yeah. Not that a lot of these kids are going to go be actors. No, but-, but I feel like that's a really – the arts are a very under – undervalued underappreciated yeah like part of education and yes it's not math it's not science but it's culture and i feel like that's really really important for kids as they're figuring out who they are as people giving them that outlet to express themselves is very powerful so i applaud you for that that is a that is a great today i don't hate thanks man i also don't hate when people get to do theater for the first time it's so good the best it's so good 
So yeah, so there. I feel much better now there after go. ranting about the news. Um, <laughs> so as always, uh, this episode and the Shea Hates Everything podcast is a product of SheaHatesEverything.com, which you should check out to read and not just listen to my opinions on uh, some video games, movies, comics, books, and other shit that matters. So thank you for listening, Kyle. As always, thank you for joining me. You got it. And we'll be back in the next one. Peace out. Peace out.